0: The clock is ticking, tick-tock, what's the time,
1: Mr. Clock? Little says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. This is Gary. Gary Hoffman.
2: This is Gary, and
1: he's very, very famous on Twitter. Shannon Farron.
0: (laughs) It's terrible! She has beautiful eyes, and her hair smells like cinnamon!
1: Mm -hmm. Gary and Shannon. I wouldn't be anywhere else at this hour, except on TV. Set me free!
3: do do the show today i don't know (laughs) what do you mean you don't know it's twitter thursday oh i didn't know that yeah well now you can change your tune what does twitter thursday mean oh it's an excellent question it means you follow us on twitter at gary and shannon we follow you right back how cool is that we retweet your musings all day long i'm gonna retweet something right now Right am just gonna now. pick a
4: random thing and retweet it. Uh-huh. Let's it's a see. Dangerous here. Let's
3: thing. See here. Who am I gonna retweet? Some crazy stuff on this Twitter. <laughs> uh,
4: well, today's uh, shaping up to be quite a busy day as well. Eleven o'clock this morning is when we are expecting a uh, news conference out of Riverside County about the family in Paris. The uh, the parents, the thirteen siblings, and now we found out a couple of dogs as well who appear to be in better condition than the kids do. Um we'll we'll talk about what the DA is expected to do in terms of charges. Uh the parents are due in court later today. But my understanding is they just last night met with their lawyers for the first time, so it's likely they'll get some sort of an extension. Uh Justin is gonna join us. We're gonna talk about uh parenting myths. We haven't talked to him in a couple of weeks, but myths you know what mom used to always say about, you know, swimming right after you eat? Or don't sit go outside You'll get with a your cold. hair wet, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. We'll talk about parenting myths. Uh, also, a lot to get to when it comes to Swamp Watch. And we'll kind of keep an eye on this uh, throughout the course of the show. Nancy Pelosi says the Republican bill that is in the House right now is like a bowl of doggy do. Now, first of all, gummy. You don't get to you don't get to tell the president not to say bad words and then use something as childish as a bowl of doggy do.
3: Well, you know, she's getting the attention that she wanted to get using that phrase. It's on all the cable news crawls there. Bowl of doggy do. Is this what we're doing now? Are we going to sink down to a third grade level of communication?
5: A bowl of
4: doggy do.
3: Furthermore, uh, dogs do not poop in bowls.
4: (laughs) Well, if you train them correctly, I assume that they probably could. Anyway, the government's expected to. No, I should say the government would shut down uh, late tomorrow night if Congress can't come up with some sort of a spending plan, whether it's a short-term plan, a continuing resolution, they call it, or a plan that would go several months, and we won't have to keep doing this over and over
3: again. All right, but we start in Paris, where we are hearing more details out of that house. Of course, by now, everyone knows what we mean when we say that house that held 13 starving siblings, some of them chained to furniture. The latest details are this, are these. They only got one meal a day. They were only allowed to shower twice a year.
4: Well, once to go to Vegas and once to go to Disneyland, I guess.
3: No wonder those kids are smiling in those pictures. They were able to get their yearly shower. Think about how gross that is for a minute. Hygiene-wise speaking of hygiene the rooms in this four-bedroom house filled with urine we saw the pictures from one of the other homes they had moved out of
4: in Texas yeah. in
3: Texas and that looked like they were using the carpet as a toilet uh, and now we have proof that that in fact was happening
4: they found a couple of uh, they found a couple of dogs too two small dogs that Louise uh agreed to surrender to the animal control officers are said to be in pretty good condition so i'm just just to juxtapose this woman was so crazy she was taking better care of her dogs than she was her own children
3: that makes sense that's how in a weird warped way yeah
4: but i mean in terms of uh, of of putting a finer point on the picture of crazy that she is
3: well, by the way, here's those dogs the are available
4: for adoption.
3: Here's the thing: I mean, if this woman who was married off or left home at sixteen to marry this guy, I believe she was under his control. I mean, I think that he was was the guy who led this cult of children and this this wife, and I I think that maybe there in some recess of her brain, she wasn't allowed to care for her children, which is intrinsically in you as a mother you that's what you do you take care of your kids and if she wasn't allowed to she was maybe allowed to take care of the dogs in, in the way that that a mother would
4: well and remember her sister when she lived with him in texas she's the one who said that the guy was creepy and would watch her take a shower but in a joking way There's no such thing um she said that when she was living with the family, even though she was 18, 19, 20 years old, she was treated like one of the children and had to follow the strict rules. So I wonder if the wife has been in that situation the entire time. Pretty
3: sure. I mean, I, I, off of what we know, it sounds like that's the case. Well, uh, these kids, by the way, now uh, severe malnutrition, obviously one meal a day for their whole lives. Right. And I can't even imagine the hygiene situation on those bodies. Um, They're getting antibiotics, vitamins, nutrients. Doctors were really concerned about these malnourished bodies going into shock once they started getting nutrients because that's how bad it was.
4: To give you an idea also about the concern about these kids, their, their body functions, their immune systems... The Chamber of Commerce in Corona has collected and donated bags of clothes for each of the kids or at least at least each of the adult children in this family. And they have said that along with that they're going to buy clothes. These clothes have to be new because of the risk of infection. Think about that. You're talking about a 29-year-old person who through without any other sort of health problems that we know of, just through the course of malnutrition Their immune system is so low and so inadequate that dirty clothes or clothes even that someone else wore bring with it a a, a potential for infection.
3: The minor children have been polite and cooperative. Remember, the minor kids are at one hospital. The adult kids are at another. There are six minor kids. And then there's seven kids that range in age from 18 to 29 Again, they all look about 15 because of this malnourishment. Uh, They say the minor children, like I said, have been polite and cooperative, but they have not been able to provide statements. Investigators are also still trying to obtain statements from the adult victims. They've brought in forensic teams to that house now. And this, this neighborhood is just completely covered in reporters. It reminds me of the Scott Peterson investigation after Lacey was just dis- was disappeared and then later found but when she was missing this one street in Modesto was just turned into a media circus it's just an ordinary residential street and the same thing is happening here outside this home in Paris the forensic team has removed box after box of evidence yesterday afternoon they uncovered a couple safes a bed frame was seen being taken out by one of these teams. Today is the legal deadline for them to file charges or release the parents. So if, they're, if they file on them this morning, maybe arraignment this afternoon.
4: Yeah, and the plan again is that there will be a news conference at 11 o'clock. We'll carry it live out of Riverside County and see if they have any information. Uh, I wanted to point something out as well because there had been some question about this. The Riverside County Sheriff's Department has said to be careful of the fundraising efforts that you may have been hearing about. I mentioned that the Corona Chamber of Commerce had come forward with some donated clothes, et cetera. The, the important thing to remember about a GoFundMe page, for example, and there have been a couple of them that have been put up, is that the website itself, GoFundMe officials, are working with the organizers to make sure that any donated money gets to the right place. I heard other people say that these are fake GoFundMe sites. They're not They're not fake. It's just that they're not officially connected to law enforcement. They're not officially connected to the family. But the people who have set up these GoFundMe sites in order to uh, raise money, not just for the 17-year-old girl who made the original phone call, but all of the children in general, they have said that they want to uh, bring they want they want to have the money donated specifically to the children for their future care, etc. One woman in I think her name uh, Catherine Catherine works for GoFundMe and said that they are backed with a guarantee. All of the no- donations are backed with a guarantee that either the funds go to the right place, and GoFundMe officials are working on making sure they do that. They either go to the right place or you get a refund. So. They are held by the company until they can, in fact, figure out who the intended beneficiary is. It's clear who it is. They just want to make sure that the, whoever set it up is not taking a skim off the top of this. And that's so, so they're not fake in that they're not running a ruse here, but you can use your own judgment. If you want to do it that way, you can go through more official cha- channels, etc., Uh, But at this point, there is no official fundraising that has been done on behalf of the kids.
3: One of the questions that has come up is, how did none of these kids tell somebody before now? We found out about this family when the 17-year-old daughter escaped through a window with an old cell phone she was able to call 911 on. She had pictures on the cell phone of the conditions inside the house that she was probably able to surreptitiously take without our parents knowing. But how come we didn't know? Because neighbors had said the kids were outside at times. It seems like there were neighbors, obviously, to reach out to, that um, some of these kids even drove the cars. So why? Why wouldn't they say, I'm being chained at home? Well, psychiatrists say that even in cases of extreme deprivation, which we're seeing in terms of showers and food, that it's common for feelings of helplessness or confusion to lead to staying in place despite the opportunities to get the hell out. And this quote really struck me. This psychiatrist, a Bruce Perry, Dr. Bruce Perry, he is a senior fellow at the Child Trauma Academy in Houston. He said, this happens all the time. The number of individuals who would immediately respond to an opportunity where they could get away is very small compared to the number of people who would have paralysis, and insecurity and confusion about what to do. This is the norm, staying silent, not escaping.
4: J.C. Dugard was one of those examples where for so long she had been held captive, but was out in the public, did have opportunities to drop a note, ask for help, talk to a police officer, call 911. But The usual is what you're more comfortable with, even in those extreme situations like that.
3: James and Betty Turpin are the parents of the dad, and they visited for five days about six years ago. They visited the home in California where this family lived, and they're talking about what they observed. Betty and James say these siblings called each other sweetie. That's odd in itself, isn't it? Siblings calling you sweetie?
4: My sisters have never called me sweetie.
3: My brother would never call me sweetie, I don't think, unless he was being There
4: are other names, funny. but that's not one of them.
3: Right. <laughs> is, is this one of them?
4: Uh, they have said that before. Yeah.
3: That was one of my favorite ones. But I
4: told her her butt was big.
3: That's what brothers do to sisters. My brother used to tell me that I had birthing hips. Before I even knew what that was, like, I didn't even know what that meant or anything.
4: Uh, Yeah. Sweetie was not in their vernacular in terms of names that they would call me.
3: Uh, So the siblings called each other Sweetie. They say that the, the siblings never argued, that they looked healthy. This was, again, six years ago, that everything seemed to be fine. The grandparents say we're still in shock. They are the sweetest family. The grandparents, by the way, are in their 80s, 81 and 84. They said they were just like an ordinary family. They had such good relationships. The, Betty, the grandma, says, I'm not just saying this stuff. These kids, we were amazed. They were sweetie this and sweetie that to each other. We never heard those kids arguing. It was wonderful, the trip. James, grandpa, says he and his wife want to speak to their grandchildren, trying to, to get to them with the help of social workers. He said they're supposed to get us connected to the kids. Now that that raises a, a conundrum for social workers. I would I would assume
4: right. There's the other issue, and we'll get to this in just a second. The other issue here is whether or not homeschools, since this was a homeschool, whether or not there should be more oversight on behalf of the state. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, an update, uh, an opportunity for you to win. How about a thousand bucks?
1: Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200.
4: And don't forget, you got to answer that phone. If you win, they will give you a call from a number you probably don't recognize. But if you don't answer, they're going to move on to somebody else and give it to you. If you didn't win this time, we're doing this once an hour between 5 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock at night. Starting with Wake Up Call and Jonesy all the way through the Conway Show at 620. We'll give away $1,000 an
3: hour. Private schools in California, homeschools, they are not licensed by the state education department. No agency regulates or oversees them. It is all about, hey, you want to do a homeschool of your kids? Have at it. We'll stay out of your business. Part of me loves that. But then you hear stories like this. You do have to register the number of students, and Dad did register the number of students in this sort of homeschool hell. It seems like he registered the the number of students, six of them, that would still be in school, and he said which grade they would be in, and that all kind of checks out. There is one requirement, and it's that the fire marshal needs to conduct an annual inspection at any home that is also a, a private school. That did not happen. There's no paperwork. That that ever happened.
4: I think you get into a really weird situation, though, having a fire marshal come through and walk through a house uh, that is considered a that is a, a homeschool, the site of a homeschool. Because if, if a fire marshal walks through your house today, they're going to write something up. They're going to oh, tell yeah. you something is wrong. So you got to have this, or that's not a fire safe door. Or that so does then do you lose your accreditation? Or accreditation is not the right word. Do you then lose your permission to be a homeschool? You if, would if,
3: probably if, have six months or whatever to fix whatever needs fixing. To me, that just adds a. La- and I'm not
4: saying this is a. This is not a good idea. I'm just saying that there, it, it's going to add a layer of bureaucracy, to, the already jammed up bureaucracy.
3: But there is no bureaucracy. With homeschools. Not with homeschools. I'm talking about
4: fire marshals. Oh. I mean, imagine if fire marshals around the state are like, I got to do another. Right. Come on. I, I have a hard enough time painting those little signs that say maximum occupancy 250 people.
3: This sounds like one of those rules that was made up in Sacramento by a bunch of people that don't live real lives. So, what the rule should be is somebody with the state should just do a walkthrough of every homeschool, right? Somebody with the State Department of Education, do a walkthrough, make sure, I don't know. There's one working fire alarm. Make sure that, I don't know, kids aren't chained to the furniture there. Make sure kids aren't going to the bathroom on the carpets. You know, just a little walkthrough, just a little let, let a look-see. Some of the basics. look-see. Some of the basics. Make sure that it's all above board. You know what I mean? That doesn't seem like a bureaucratic mess to me. That seems like, hey, let's just get in there once a year. Make sure there's no dying kids inside.
4: Uh, Assemblyman Jose Medina is a Democrat, represents that area and said that he wants to look at introducing some legislation that would require these. Uh, he's considering introducing the law that would require state officials to conduct at least an annual walkthrough of a school. So and again, I, the thing is, you're, you're asking, you're, you're tasking the fire marshals or whichever state agency you would figure to do it. You're tasking them with yet another version of uh, another layer of stuff that they have to do. And this is, this is how many times have we seen stories like this? They're not that common. And I think the better thing is a public out a uh, public call for people to be nosy neighbors. I giggle when I say it. But in all honesty, we've become so insulated and willing to just communicate with uh, social media that no one knows what's going on next door.
3: 3,000 private schools registered with the California Education Department. So that's not an insurmountable task. It
4: doesn't, it doesn't appear to be, but I don't know. That's uh, We'll see how far that goes. I think the, the homeschool lobby in California is pretty powerful. As strange as it sounds, as liberal a state as California, homeschool laws here are pretty uh, robust and compared to places like Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, where homeschooling is more prominent.
3: Some uh, they say that California's requirement of registering the kids is one of the most stringent. Yeah, so I, we are strict, I guess.
4: Yeah, but unless you chain them to a bed, then we're not. Uh,
3: yeah, you can't. You can't be doing that
4: again. Eleven o'clock is when we expect to see a news conference out of uh, Riverside County with some more details about what was going on. Uh, the Blaze Bernstein story. I I have to say. The parents of Blaze Bernstein have come out and uh, are, are sat down for an interview with the Today Show. And Gideon and Gene Bernstein have handled this case in a way that I just can't wrap my head around. And I'm saying it in a, in a positive sense. I can't understand how they would sit down for an interview after losing their son. I can't... Every
3: step of the way, they've been... I'm with you. I I can't even understand the stability, the mental stability that you would have to have to conduct yourselves the way that they've conducted themselves from start to finish. Yeah. And
4: I want to play for you some of the sound from from this Today Show interview that they did with Natalie Morales, because there's an unnatural and again, it's a positive thing, but there's an unnatural ability for this for this couple to talk about their son the way that they have and not completely break down and lose it every moment that they talk right. about
3: Right. This is not a year after the fact. It's not no. five years after the fact. It's We're liter- barely a couple days out of the memorial service. It's
4: just a- Anyway, so we'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. And uh, there is a story that's developing out of uh, Arizona right now. Phoenix police have said that a man accused of killing a couple of people has now been implicated in seven other deaths. They're saying over the course of a couple of weeks... This guy may have killed nine people in and around the Phoenix area.
3: Holy hell. We'll
4: get some details Side on
3: Side note, have you listened to the podcast Atlanta Monster?
4: No, you said something about it yesterday. I was this close to listening to it. I ended up listening to the Conway show last night.
3: Okay, I can understand that choice. Uh, it's very good. It's uh, about a bunch of missing kids in Atlanta in 1979 to 81. And the investigation, it's riveting.
4: Gary and will continue. follow us at gary and shannon on this twitter thursday shannon says she'll retweet a bunch of stuff
3: bizarre press conference out of phoenix right now about this serial killer that they say they've got cleophas Cooksey is his name 35 years old he's in custody ever since he allegedly shot and killed his mom and his stepfather they believe that those were the last of his murders they believe he was connected to seven more murders between the end of November and mid-December.
4: Yeah, and they're all different areas around Phoenix and just outside of Phoenix. Some of them related to him, or I shouldn't say related, uh, some people that he knew before and other people that were just random and they cannot find a connection to this guy. But a total of nine bodies that have now been put on this guy's hands. So we'll keep an eye on that and any more details come out, we'll get them to you.
3: Talking about Blaze Bernstein. And this was, of course, the kid, 19 years old, murdered while visiting his parents on winter break from University of Pennsylvania, disappeared after going to meet friends in a park. They've arrested a young man, 20-year-old Sam Woodward, for the murder. Seems like Sam told the, the cops that Blaze was hitting on him, and he didn't like it. But: Well,
4: the horrible nature of the death. I mean, there's the gruesome nature of the fact that he was stabbed many times, that he was buried, you know, half buried, whatever it was, in a park that was so close to his own home. I mean, there's just so like much.
3: He, yeah. It's like if you're the parent to know that your kid was right next door, yeah, essentially right next door, and you couldn't save him, right? That would be hard enough. And then to know that he was stabbed 20 times. I mean, this is your kid. And even when he was just, dis- he, he was um, still missing The parents were just, you said, unnaturally. I I would just have a hard time getting myself together to make any sort of statement, let alone have the poise that this mother had.
4: Uh, Gene and Gideon uh, Bernstein are the parents, and they went on the Today Show and sat down with uh, Natalie Morales and talked to her. This is the thing. They talked to her about their son. They didn't talk about the murder. They didn't talk about the court case that's coming up. They talked about their son. And it was, to me, it was a... a... I
3: lost my son. I lost the most precious gift.
4: And the way Dad said this was there was still a... There's still some so much positive that Blaze brought to their life that they want to continue even if he's not there.
0: This is a, uh, a story of... Um... Hope that um, you know for for the future that has come from a tragedy that no one would ever wish on their worst enemy
4: just can't imagine I have a kid that this, that is this age, and I cannot imagine the white hot fury that would engulf me in a situation like that that these people are able to control
3: you'd be lucky enough to make it into the shower. Since this whole thing began, yeah, let alone gotten it together to done to, to have done several media interviews, and again, this isn't like a year removed from the murder. This is like a couple of weeks. I mean, they just they just laid the boy to rest a couple of days ago. I just gotta hand it to them, whatever sort of spiritual or faith or whatever whatever provides that kind of backbone, if that's what you want to call it, is yeah.
4: One of the one of the underlying stories of this that they have also not made a big deal about is whether or not Blaze was gay. And th- what Gene said to Natalie Morales was, we celebrated him. We celebrated everything about him.
2: We celebrated him, everything about him. We, we wanted him to feel that he could be open about every part of his life. We wanted him to naturally
3: get to a comfortable place. And he was getting there. He was on his way.
4: So... If you're the parent of a kid who's 18, 19 years old, coming to terms with his sexuality, dealing with it, figuring it out, you're the parent, and as much as you want to be able to help them and push them in the right direction or tell them the right thing or set up the situation for them, they have to learn how to do it themselves. And they were sitting there witnessing their son growing into who he was as a person only to have it cut short. And again, they're not talking about the anger that they have—they're not talking about the fury that you can—that must be in there. There, they have the presence of mind to talk about their son as a precious gift that was taken from them. But that—that's how they couch everything that they've been saying in this story: is that he was a great, he was a young cook, he was—he loved to travel, he was smart, he was—he was handsome. I mean, all of these things. How they can do that and not just be overcome with the fury? I—I. I, I applaud them for that.
3: Another part of this story is the fact that this is 2018. This is not rural America. This is California. This is Orange County. And if the details hold true and this turns out to be a homophobic murder, that's something else that you probably thought didn't exist anymore in places like Orange County in California in 2018. But it's a reminder that it can be very powerful. And that sucks that that's still something that we have to deal with
4: um, to that end about being positive about this. And they have said that they want to emphasize the positive in places life and not the negatives. Obviously, they have said they're not going to be at court uh, unless they're needed Good for like, them. Unless the D.A. says we need you there to testify or for whatever reason, they've said they're not they're not going to show up in court. They're not going to attend any of the court proceedings.
3: Good for them. I think that can be healthy. I mean, it 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 puts you through um, just hearing from from other family members uh, uh, that have attended court proceedings, a Sealed Beach murderer. Those families come to mind how many times they had to go and see that piece of crap that that walked into that salon in Sealed Beach and murdered their loved ones. And it's like reliving the thing all over again, and it, it, I, I just don't understand how that can be healthy for for someone to to have a murder like that, somebody taken from you, and then extending that pain in in court and through the court proceedings. Because you know what the other thing is is justice is not swift; it takes a really long time, and there are legal hurdles and setbacks and things, and that would piss me off even more, right? If justice, justice delayed and justice delayed and delayed and delayed, make you even more mad. As you hear the defense attorney say things like, well, we're going to have to postpone this because I've got a vacation in Mexico coming up next month. Yeah, non-refundable tickets. Can't have trial start till after, you know, it, it would be maddening.
4: Well, that's uh, that is a sad case, and unfortunately, we have to revisit it every time this guy goes to goes to court for whatever reason. But it looks like the family has been able to deal with this and process this as well as possible. Uh, Listen, we uh, we when we come back, the president came out with the fake news awards last night. I got to tell you, it was kind of a letdown. I was expecting some some. Why a I,
3: I mean, I saw the highly anticipated fake news awards. I wasn't highly anticipating this. I didn't care. I, this to well, me is a sideshow. Who gives a crap? The highly it's anticipated no, it's no, part. It's no uh, surprise that this is a president who loathes the media. And I could name on my hand the the, the news awards before they were even announced. They, they,
4: that's what I mean. It was a who letdown. cares?
3: Yeah. <laughs> what was it supposed to be? Was it supposed to be exciting? I wanted or something?
4: pomp and circumstance. Uh, I love. wanted red carpets. Oh,
3: you wanted like a production, not yeah. just like a list posted. I just. I thought they could have done a better job. But then again,
4: that's me. Would
3: you like to host next year?
4: (laughs) Could you imagine that job? That would Um, be an interesting job.
3: Would you take that job? Sure.
4: Gary hosts next year's Fake News Awards. Such a
3: slut. Totally, such a slut.
4: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Gary and Shannon will continue.
3: That the president of the United States is putting out fake news awards. It's like a retractions column in a newspaper of all the things that the media got wrong over the course of his administration. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But you know what? You know who I think made a bigger deal out of this and it needed to be the media?
4: (laughs) Well, what I thought the president didn't understand was that people were making fun of him for this. Right. When when the original tweet came out that he said he was going to announce fake news awards... Guys like uh, Trevor Noah on The Daily Show and Stephen Colbert and uh, uh, Seth Meyers, they all came out and said, oh, oh, pick me, pick me. Uh, By the way, none of those were mentioned, um, but that, I think, was what people were so highly anticipating. I think that's where he got the impression that people were anticipating this. None of the stories, none of the things that he mentioned were new, uh, which, you know, I was expecting something different than this, but... He said, uh, I mean, he gave a list, I think there were 11 on their total, uh, and he gave a list of the things, the number one on the list was the New York Times' Paul Krugman claiming that, the, um, that after the president's win, that the economy would never recover. And obviously the economy is smoking right now. The thing is, it wasn't a New York Times uh, article, it wasn't sup- supposed to be based in fact, it was an op-ed piece. Yes, he was completely wrong, but and he had since said, "Yeah, I was wrong about that. Didn't expect this to happen." The other, the one that uh, ABC News, Brian Ross, he choked. He sent the markets in a downward spiral with a false report. ABC came back within hours, followed up with a full apology for what they called a serious error said that it didn't meet the network's editorial standards for vetting. He was suspended for four weeks without pay for misreporting. He got his pants handed to him. Talk about an embarrassment. When you had built a reputation that Brian Ross had, the embarrassment of being uh, suspended for a month for getting something so wrong.
3: Yeah. Um, It got me thinking, though, we should have some sort of bogus uh, awards. The Gary and Shannon Awards. For something.
4: Okay. Who would win what? What do do you mean?
3: I don't know. Like uh, something that. Biggest apple? Maybe we do. uh, Yeah, we could do biggest apple. That would be one of them. Definitely. (laughs)
6: Cutest baby animal. Cutest
3: baby animal. (laughs) Um, I mean, the, the list is it could go on and on and on. I mean, if we're going to start doing ridiculous awards shows and presentations, I think we should get in on it.
1: For Gary, we we'll could do the best Ed Sheeran song.
3: Excellent. Yeah. Gary's uh, what Tough. what what musical what Disney movie does he sing the best? Right. Best um,
0: plagiarized song by Ed Sheeran. Oh,
4: that's even better. But mm-hmm. watch your mouth. Uh, what what I was expecting more out of these uh, these fake news awards was something hard hitting. Like something, what? something that would be more significant, like, um, well, the 11th one on the list is the president. All it says is Russia collusion. Russian collusion is perhaps the greatest hoax perpetrator on the American people. There is no collusion. He didn't cite any specific article or I mean, I know it's a common theme. All of the networks that he's been talking about, CNN, um, New York Times, ABC, they've all said Russia collusion. And, and all he said was there is no collusion. But then there were things like the Polish first lady never shook President Trump's hand.
3: Well, he obsesses about these little that's things. The, but that's the he smallest, hears this unc- worthless story. Well, what did you expect? Why do you, expe- Why do you keep expecting this guy to be any different? Because I'm an
4: optimist.
3: Uh, well, he obsesses about little things. Little slights become mountains of fury in his mind. Was uh, the Russian hookers peeing on him? Did that make the fake news no, list? No, that's the other part about it. Interesting. Well, that's a bombshell.
4: <laughs> so now you're reading between the lines at the stories that didn't make the
3: list. Why not? It's asinine. <laughs> you know what? This is this is what happened. The president told his aides or his people, "I want to do a fake news awards. It'll be great. It'll be huge. The biggest. All the biggest. The the worst fake news. All about Trump." And his aides are like, are you freaking kidding me right now? We have to put together freaking fake news awards? End it. End my life right here. So they came up, they sat down, they had a couple Chardonnays or whatever, and they came up with 10 or 11 times the media was wrong about stuff involving Trump. This was one of those things that they did not want to do.
4: This this was put out despite them... Saying, I don't think this is a great idea.
3: Just like Oscar and Blake don't want to pick the biggest apple or the cutest baby animal. They're
4: just playing along. Yeah,
3: they're just playing along with the crazy people.
4: Uh, smart. All right. Did well, we
1: do a uh, like a bracket system? We
3: did a baby a bracket. Yeah, we did. March Madness. So I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, we're going to do it that again. That's going <laughs> to be know. an annual thing. He right.
4: now he now hates the fact that he brought that up. Mm-hmm. Sorry.
3: No, I don't mind it. Yeah, I think
4: it's fun. He's, that's what, exactly Next Next what Next month they is said, when we
3: start. February, right, Blake? Exactly what start? they said in the it White
4: House March, press Mad- It was a March Madness bracket, right. so whenever, yeah, we have to have it ready by first weekend of February. First round of that, okay. whenever that is, yeah. All
3: right, right well, let's get cracking, guys. Right.
4: Um, yeah. Come up
3: with your list of baby animals.
4: Uh, a right. news conference <laughs> we're expecting out of Riverside County, the latest on that home in Paris. Backing myself up. Where the 13 children were held. We'll talk about that and more. Next hour on Gary and Shannon. We're going to go live to Riverside County. The DA there has uh, started this news conference about the house in Paris where those 13 kids were found.
7: To her left, Managing Deputy District Attorney John Henry is the supervisor of the Special Victims Unit. And to his left, Director of our Victim Services Melissa Donaldson. Thank you all for coming today. I'm, I'm here to announce uh, that this morning the Riverside County District Attorney's Office filed criminal charges against David and Louise Turpin. You know that as the Paris child abuse case. What I would like to do today is first tell you what we've charged and the potential consequences of those charges. uh, And then tell you a little bit about the why we charged the case and give you a snapshot of some of the evidence. Um, Of course, I do want to tell you up front, and I'll probably mention it again. This is an ongoing investigation. We are at the beginning, not the end. Uh, We do have enough information to go forward and file charges, and that's what we'll be discussing today. The charges that we filed are the following. We have filed 12 counts of a violation of penal code section 206 against both David and Louise Turpin. That is torture. We filed one count of a violation of penal code section 288B1 against David Turpin, which is lewd act on a child by force or fear or duress. We filed seven counts of violation of Penal Code Section three sixty eight B one, which is abuse of a dependent adult. We filed six counts of two hundred seventy three AA, which is child abuse or, or neglect. We have filed twelve counts of false imprisonment. The 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 date range of these charges, they range from uh, 2010 to the present. And the physical location, of course, is in Riverside County, uh, alleged to have occurred uh, in Murrieta and also Paris. If convicted of these charges, if convicted of all of these charges as currently filed, uh, these defendants are facing up to 94 years to life in prison. The case has been moved to Department 54 of the Riverside County Courthouse, and we will be asking for bail to uh, to be set as schedule. What that means is the normal bail given what we have filed, and that will be our request that bail be set at $13 million per defendant. Now what I'll do is tell you a little bit about the why and give you some snapshot of the facts of this case, uh, it, is, it is just that, it is just a snapshot. And I will afterwards, I will open it up for questions and I'll do the best I can to answer your questions. But as you, as you probably know, there, there, are, there is much we still don't know, and there are many things I, I can't answer. So, um, so, th- so these are the facts. Uh, first, a quick caveat, as I've said, it is an ongoing investigation. It is a detailed investigation. We're going to go about this the way we always do, meticulously and carefully. As we always say here at the office, it's more important that we get it right than it is to do it fast. We're fully prepared to seek justice in this case and do so in a way that protects these victims from further harm. So the brief overview, uh, I'm providing a brief over- overview to you of the facts. Uh, in the hope that anyone with additional information about these defendants about these victims about these crimes will come forward and, and talk to the district attorney's office this these individuals first what I want to tell you is these individuals uh, sleep all day and are up all night the the all 13 of the victims uh, including and including the defendants typically go to sleep around four or five in the morning uh, sleep all day and then be up All through the night. The victims report that as a punishment, starting many years ago, they began to be tied up. First with ropes. One victim at one point was tied up and hog tied. And then when that victim was able to escape the the ropes, uh, these defendants eventually began using chains and padlocks to chain up the victims to their beds. These, as I said, these were, were a form of punishment meted out on these children and these adults. These punishments would last for weeks or even months at a time. The evidence is that three victims were chained up at the time the police first knocked on the door at the home in Paris. The defendants were able to get two of the victims unchained before the police actually entered. An 11 and 14-year-old were unchained as the police stood at the door, while a 22-year-old remained chained to a bed when the police entered the home. Circumstantial evidence in the house suggests that the victims were often not released from their chains to go to the the bathroom. The 17-year-old victim that escaped had been working on a plan with her siblings to escape this abuse for more than two years. She escaped through a window and took one of her siblings with her. That sibling eventually turned back, became frightened and turned back, and went back into the house. The neglect and abuse started when the family lived in, Fort Worth, in the Fort Worth area of Texas, with the parents at one point living apart from most of the children and dropping off food from time to time. The defendants lived in Texas for 17 years. In 2010, they moved to Murrieta, California, and in 2014 moved to their current residence in Paris, California, both, of course, in Riverside County. The abuse and severe neglect intensified over time and intensified as they moved to California. All the victims have now been examined by doctors and medical professionals. All the victims were and are severely malnourished. Specifically, severe caloric malnutrition associated with muscle wasting. To give you an example, one of the children at age 12 is the weight of an average 7-year-old. The 29-year-old female victim weighs 82 pounds. Several of the victims have cognitive impairment and neuropathy, which is nerve damage as a result of this extreme and prolonged physical abuse. None of the victims were allowed to shower more than once a year. I want to give you a quick example. Um, One of the reasons for the, and this is all alleged conduct, I do want to mention that. One of the reasons for these punishments of being chained up to a bed were that, um, and, and by the way, the punishments included frequent beatings, and even strangulation. One of the uh, reasons for the punishments were if the children were found to wash their hands above the wrist area, they were accused of playing in the water, and they would be chained up. None of the victims have seen a doctor in more than four years. None of the victims have ever seen a dentist. The children were, when they were not chained up, locked in different rooms and fed very little on a schedule. They were not allowed to have toys, although there were many toys found in the house that were in their original package and had never been opened. Supposedly homeschooled, the children lacked even, they lack a basic knowledge of life. Many of the children didn't know what a police officer was. The 17-year-old, when asked if there was medication or pills in the home, didn't know what medication or pills were. About the only thing the children were allowed to do in their rooms or chained up was to write in journals. We now have recovered those journals, hundreds of them, and we are combing through them for evidence. One other thing, the parents would apparently buy food for themselves. Uh, and not allow the children to eat it. They would buy food including pies, apple pies, pumpkin pies, leave it on the counter, let the children look at it, but not eat the food. It's a very complex case. It's important that we gather and analyze this evidence based on the information I've shared with you today. It's my hope that members of the public will come forward with any information about this family or these crimes that could aid us in this ongoing investigation and case. If anyone out there has additional information, please call Senior Investigator Wade Walsvik at 951-955-5400, and I'll provide his email uh, later. I do want to uh, say a note of, of thanks to the Sheriff's Department. Uh, they've conducted a professional and excellent investigation, and we're working very closely with Sheriff's investigators. I do also want to mention, before I open it up for questions, uh, this case is, is going to be handled in a sensitive way. We're, as I said, we're fully prepared to seek justice, but we have to do it in a way that protects these victims. They have been um, severely hurt and damaged, and we, we, we cannot cause them any further damage. At this time, I want to call up Melissa Donaldson. Melissa Donaldson is the director of our Victim Services Division. Just want to have her say a few words about uh, our response, the district attorney's response from the victim side.
4: We're listening to a news conference out of Riverside County. The 13 kids, some adults found in that Victim one home. Services
2: provide, provide services to the victims of all crime types. In specific, these victims, there are so many that are minors and adults. We're going to be having three advocates that will be assisting and providing services to these children and adults. As Mike described, there are multiple issues with all these children, and they are going to take long-term help. Our victim advocates will go to court, they will work with CPS, and we will provide long-term and short-term services to make sure that they are not re-victimized and that we can help them move as far ahead on their health as we can. We also have a crisis response team that we've developed here in the DA's office, and those victim advocates are specially trained in mass casualty and victimization, and those staff are ready and serving the victims as well.
7: Okay, at this time, I'll I'll take questions. Yes. The lewd act is in reference to um, just that, a lewd act that that we're alleging that um, David Turpin touched uh, one of the victims in a lewd way by using force or fear. Um, I'd be speculating at this point. We are looking into all of those things. And that's part of the ongoing nature of the investigation. Why did they do this? What did they get yeah. out of
0: having their kids look really small and having the same haircut and
7: all that? You know, um, I don't know that I can answer that completely, but I'll tell you that as a prosecutor there are, there are cases that stick with you, that haunt you. And, you know, sometimes in this business we're faced with looking at human depravity. And that's what we're looking at here.
1: Family members said it has become increasingly religious over the years and the religions become eclectic. Did religion have a role in whatever was going on? Some
7: sort of religious right and cult? Not that I know of. Yes. And Hold on. I'm going I'm to call time out people. At the time there were uh, torture and dementia, no, no one noticed what was happening? It appears that no one noticed what was happening. Part of that is... What I shared with you at the very beginning is that the family, these individuals, slept all day uh, and were up in the middle of the night, all night. They were up all night, all of them, uh, not just the parents. Yes. Mike,
6: how did the family earn income? Did they have money coming in, and how did they get that money?
7: Yes, we're looking at that. Not totally clear at this point, but we do know that the, the, um, David Turpin did have a job. He was employed. They did have money coming in. They were able to buy things. Uh, they bought a lot of toys that they never opened. Uh, they bought other things. They bought food that they ate and that didn't share with their children. Yes? Um, from talking to the neighbors, they say some of the
1: older kids attended a local college. Is it your knowledge that some of the older kids were actually able to leave the house
7: at some point in time? Yes, so at least one of the older victims attended uh, classes. I don't know uh, about... Full college experience, but attended classes. Uh, what we know so far is that um, Louise Turpin would would accompany him, wait outside of the classroom for him. Uh, when he was finished with class, she would take him home. Sir, can I ask you, yes. can you characterize the type of control of these children and the young adults were under 24 hours? This is severe, emotional, physical abuse. There's no way around that. This is depraved conduct. Yes sir. So, yeah, can you uh, address, uh, you said that uh, there's of torture why it Because it's a good question. We are not charging torture on the 2-year-old. Uh, the 2-year-old don't know why but the the, the apparently the 2-year-old was getting enough to eat uh, so we're not going to charge uh, torture against a two year old. The the basis of our torture charge is is not just one thing, but it's a combination of severe abuse over time. Yes sir. No, I cannot do that. Sorry. Yes sir. Situation
4: with the kids, when they're able to leave a hospital, will they be put in the foster care system?
5: Will we treat them differently? And can you describe right now primarily the
2: mental condition as opposed to mm-hmm.
7: They're they're relieved. I will say that. Um, They're in good hands. They're being cared for. They're all in the hospital. Their well-being is being looked at. Their health is being looked at. They're in good hands. As far as where they're going to end up, I don't know. Um, We are going to do everything we can to assist them uh, through our victim services division, and and hopefully um, they'll be cared for throughout this process. Yes, sir.
5: elaborate on, on the two-year plan that they were making to, you know, clearly some of the kids must
8: have known that you can get help, like had that kind of educational understanding.
5: Yeah, hey, you're
7: right. I mean, there's a, there's a variety, there's a range of, of um, thought here. So there, that's all I can share is that there was a plan for two years. To, as to the details of what went into the plan, at this point, I don't know all the details, and that, that certainly will come out in court. Let me, let me go down there, here. You've already, yes. Oh, I don't. we don't know. I don't know exactly how many times they ate it. That will come out later. I have
1: yes, Have
2: they said something about
1: why they did
7: this? I can't comment about that.
1: Yes, sir. What do you think the significance of the
7: hundreds of journals that diaries? have I think they will be very significant. I think those journals are uh, going to be strong evidence of what occurred in that home. Has there been a range of reactions?
5: The older kids seemingly wanting to go back with their family versus the younger kids perhaps being more open to getting away from their family?
7: Not really, no. The, the kids are relieved. Yes. Mike, I'm sorry.
5: There, you mentioned that the 17-year-old
7: applied the escape. One is the 17-year-old but not the older kids who may have plotted to try to
0: get away.
7: Well, uh, I, I don't know. I'd be speculating. And
0: would you say that
4: I don't
7: know. I'd be speculating to answer that question like that. Let me go over here. Yes.
4: Mike, you mentioned uh, there was another sibling that escaped initially with a 17-year-old. Yes. Can you elaborate more on that, the age of that sibling, and, and why she perhaps turned
7: back? She was frightened. That's all I can say. Is it? There, there were two of them that left the house. One of them turned back because she was frightened.
4: And what was the age of the second sibling?
7: Uh, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. Anything else? Yes. <laughs> Well, the, the charge is loot act uh, under a child fourteen under a child fourteen years of age. So it would be under fourteen years of age. No, I'm not gonna add that have? No. Other than I'm just gonna tell you they're relieved. Yes. Right now we are charging one count of loot act. This is an ongoing investigation. I will tell you this that if if our investigation uncovers more crime we will charge more offenses.
1: Sir, was that to a female or a male?
7: It's to a female.
2: So, sir, is the mental capacity of the parents going to play a role in this? I mean, are they sort of bonding
7: nice? I can't answer that question. I can't answer that question. Yes. You wanted to protect the evictors in this case. How are you going to try these defendants without
1: having victims testify against this character in that part
7: of the department? Well, the... the I'm not going to comment on that. I, that. It's not when I said I wanted to protect these victims. That doesn't mean they won't testify in court. It means that we want to protect them from being exploited. We want to protect them from um, being further traumatized by what they're what they're going through now. Sir, Mike.
0: Yes. Yeah, is it- Go ahead. Mike. You know, it's difficult to quantify or measure
7: I've heard a lot of abuse cases, as you know. Most of them turned out deadly. In terms of this particular case. Is there any time, any point, where any of these children or uh, the adults were, were near death because of the, the uh, type of abuse that was allegedly inflicted? Could that have uh, reduced it to a condition not have died? Not that I know of. I'm Not not to minimize it at all. The, the abuse was horrific, and over time, but it, this is prolonged abuse. And it did involve beatings and strangulation, so certainly it, it, there was violence in the home, but... We're, we're looking at kids being chained up to their beds. Yes, sir. Uh,
8: in their home in Texas, you mentioned that they would leave them for long periods of time um, and only come back to provide them food. Do they know where they went during those period, that period of time and how were they not able to escape at the time? Were they the actually live apart?
7: Yes, as far as we know, they lived apart for a time. We are. That's one of the reasons why we've, we're giving these this information, this snapshot, we're asking for the public's help, not only here in California, but in Texas. Someone must have seen something. Someone must have noticed something. We need your help. So you made a picture of the mannerism for us with characteristics, how they speak, which likes to see them. No, I can't. I'm sorry. Yes. if the younger children suffered more or as
8: they got older, they suffered more. And also, you speak to the $13 million uh fund that you're requesting.
7: Does that apply for $1 per child? Yes, it does. I, I, what, the way I can answer that is to say the victimization uh, appeared to intensify over time. So it, it was what started out as neglect became severe, pervasive, prolonged child abuse. Do you Mike. believe these should
6: ever walk their
7: No. Yes.
6: Uh, two questions. Do we know if the children were born uh, in a hospital and at home?
7: We believe they were born in hospitals.
6: Second, uh, on a personal level, when dealing with a horrendous case like this, how do you, how does your team, you know, work through it without, I guess, mixing emotions and, you know, with the law?
7: Well, I mean, we're not we're not robots, and you know, this is difficult for everybody that that sees these images and hears these stories. So it it, it breaks our heart, but we're professionals, and and our goal here is to seek justice, protect the rights of the accused. That's another thing that we have to. Uh, concern ourselves with and protect these victims all right we're going to break away here from this
3: press conference there in riverside by the da about oh my gosh the torture and the hell that these kids have lived in for their entire lives uh just to recap the snapshot that he gave us as he called it oh just horrific um they slept all day they were up all night they would go to bed at uh, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., and then they'd be up all night.
4: And that goes to the uh, the neighbor at one point who said that he would see them marching back and forth in the middle of the night.
3: As a punishment, they were tied up with ropes at first. Uh, one of the victims was hogtied and was able to escape those ropes, so that's when mom and dad began using chains and padlocks to change them, chain them to beds. It was a form of punishment, they said, that would last for weeks or months at a time.
4: The interesting thing that he pointed out also, the three victims, we heard this in the news conference yesterday, the three victims were chained up at the time that the cops showed up, but there were two of them that were able to get out of their restraints, and there was only one who was still chained up when the when the uh, officers finally made their way into the Mom house. Mom and dad
3: were able to get those two unchained, because they knew that that was wrong. That's what I got from what he said. Oh, really? Yeah.
4: I, the way I took it was they figured out how to get out of their chains. Like, they knew...
3: Oh yeah! Somebody was
4: coming like, hey, our sister left, and that was the other part about it. The 17-year-old we know made the 911 call and was the one who led deputies to the house. She had escaped with one of her siblings, that there were two of them who originally escaped the house, but one got scared and turned back and went back.
3: Apparently, the siblings had been working on a plan to escape for two years. One of the other big... bombshells, I guess you could call it, that came out was when they were in Texas, the parents lived away from all the kids, that they would drop off food peri- periodically. Um, the 29-year-old weighs 82 pounds. That's just... The 12-year-old is the weight of a 7-year-old. That they uh, Many of them have nerve damage that goes on with prolonged abuse. They didn't know what a police officer was. They didn't know what medication was. They have very little knowledge of the world. Ugh, it's just insane. Um, described we described
4: will... it. Uh, Mike, Mike Heston, the DA in Riverside County, described it as severe emotional and physical abuse. This was depraved contact, uh, conduct, and that these kids are relieved.
3: They
1: that wouldn't. Was, they weren't that allowed. A
4: concern. They
3: they weren't allowed to have food other than very little on a schedule. But mom and dad would buy food for themselves to eat. Sometimes he said they would leave a pie out on the table, and let the kids see the pie, smell the pie, but would not let them eat it. They weren't allowed to have toys, but there were several toys that had never been opened found in the house. So they were using all of these things to control those kids for 30 years.
4: And no, no reason why, none that we know of. I mean,
3: Oh, they're sick bastards. Well, they're
4: sick, but what sort of mental... Um, I don't know. What sort of what, what do they think they were
3: protecting their kids or were they just? No, there was no goodwill that went into this. These were sick people that got off on screwing over their kids every day. It's depraved was the perfect word.
4: And the, and then if you see after the two or three kids that you get enjoyment out of doing this, then you have more and more. So you can deprave even more. It's of all them. about control. Them.
3: Control, control, control. And I bet mom and dad's uh, homes, they grew up in. There's some stories that probably came out of there, yeah. too. Uh,
4: so 13, uh, I think I counted 40 counts. There's there's 12 counts of torture and 12 counts of false imprisonment against both of them. Six counts of child abuse and neglect and seven counts of abuse of a d- uh, dependent adult. So that's uh, 24 and 13. That's uh, 37. And then add that one count of lewd act on a child under 14 against Dad, who is accused of touching at least one of the, the younger girls.
3: All right, let's give away uh, some money before we move on here. Now,
4: let's cleanse our pals just a little bit. Justin Warsham's is going to join us in a few minutes, but we have $1,000 to give away.
1: You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200.
3: Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon, so KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Well, we will revisit all the latest details. That We learned out of Riverside coming up in the 12 o'clock hour afternoon there.
4: Yeah, the basics of it, just that the DA has come out, explained uh, either 37 or 38 counts, depending on its mom or dad, uh, against David and Louise Turpin for holding their kids captive for years. Uh, The prosecutors are also going to ask for a million dollars bail for each child. So $13 million bail is what they're asking for. Uh, probably today in court is what we understand that they should be there in one thirty. So more of the details that came out uh, next hour.
3: But on Thursdays, we bring in Justin Worsham from the dadpodcast.com Justin's spoken with hundreds of Thou- I would
4: say thousands of experts. Okay. Some have said that. Okay. Some have said that. Very,
3: very many experts on parenting and dadding. <laughs> And we are talking about uh, parenting myths today. You know, the things that your parents tell you. Gosh, it's just hard to do this story after that press conference, you know, because some of the parenting myths are things that your parents tell you to uh, not control you, (laughs) but to control an aspect of your behavior.
4: They want to educate you so you don't get in trouble. Mm hmm. How's that? They want to keep you out of trouble, and there's a difference between controlling with chains and ropes, yes, and just giving you some knowledge that may help control your behavior, but not necessarily as a punishment. Trying to nuance this in a way that we,
6: yeah, it's, slowly slide it, away. No, I get it. Yeah, because the the thing about the secondary uh, level of bad that comes out of this. Obviously, the the first one is what happened to those poor kids, right? But the secondary thing is that in parents, whenever these kinds of stories come out, after you have kids, I'm sure you would agree with this, Gary, not that it changed. I don't know. It's. I feel like it's unfair for people who don't have kids to say, well, I don't think this is as tragic. But I noticed when I had my son that anything that involved kids and something that was bad impacted me very differently. And whenever you have these horrible stories that come up, thankfully, every so often and not all the time is that Parents, I think, sometimes over-internalize it, and parents who are working hard to take care of their kids and just want something good think that any time they do something negative with their kid, it's somehow even close to being on the same level of this horrible abuse. And that's, that's not the truth. No, and that's not and- what we're talking about here. I, yeah, we're talking about, like, the genesis of me coming in with this was that I was sitting with my son, and he was reading a book he'd gotten over the holiday, and he hadn't had the light on. And so I turned the light on, and I said, "You know, you got you can't read in the dark. It's bad for your eyes." And then I was like,
3: "Wait, is it or is it exactly?" <laughs> so, uh, so or I don't did, sit too close to the television. Exactly.
6: And so, uh, so I looked it up, and actually, there is research that says that uh, it is not bad for your eyes to sit close to the television. Or to read in the dark, that the only thing is it could strain your eyes and maybe cause a headache, but it does not weaken your vision or affect your vision. And in fact, usually if your kid is sitting too close to the television, it's a sign that they're nearsighted and you should have their eyes checked, not that they're actually ruining their vision.
3: (laughs) So what else? What are the other myths? Uh, The
6: most common one and the one that I was uh, the most, in my opinion, victimized as a father, uh, at, the, at the drop-off, I was a stay-at-home dad, so mom's always treated me differently, was that if you don't have a sweater on when you go out in the cold, you're going to catch a cold. Uh, there is zero research.
3: What about uh, the hair wet in the cold Also,
6: thing? negative on that one. A study found in the New England Journal of Medicine that kids who do not wear jackets did not get more sick than kids who did. The best way to prevent a cold, and actually the pediatrician on the dad podcast says the same exact thing, is to frequently wash your hands. If 90, 95% of respiratory infections are caused by viruses, which are not affected by... Oh, that's another thing. Let me get to that later. But what he basically said is if every kid in an elementary or preschool wash their hands twice a day, the amount of cold and flu infections would plummet, like, catastrophically. It would be almost non-existent.
4: Well, and that's I think that's why we saw such an increase. We well, see it every year, but such an increase of the flu this year... Right after the holidays yes, everybody went back and they touched their grubby little kids and <laughs> and then went home and everybody got the flu yeah
6: yep. little disease pigeons is Man. what they become and anybody who's ever started that preschool, you remember those days when you when you drop your kid off at the preschool, you think it's about education and starting their academic career no the no, no. first Three weeks of preschool is all about just a crucible for their immune system. It's right. just them getting every disease <laughs> known to man. The other thing I've learned from our pediatrician on the show, and I found these stats, is this is what I was going to say, is that 95% of respiratory infections. So this is if your kid has congestion, like a cough or a sinus uh, congestion, that's all viral. And it's not a bacteria infection. And so a lot of people will go into their physician and say, my kid's sick. Can I get some antibiotics? And the pediatrician that I have on my show, he doesn't give them unless they're necessary or unless you really, really hassle him because he doesn't think a lot. But there are people and research that's coming out that people are taking so many antibiotics that all it does is cause like an accelerated evolution of the bacteria that are causing these diseases and they've become like super bacteria. So make sure you're aware. If your kid's sitting around for, he recommends as long as it's been like three or four days, and your kid's able to retain fluid, and your fever's not too high, it's better just to wait it out, and there's nothing that you can do uh, to help a cold. Uh,
4: the My grandfather may have been way ahead of his time. Uh, Blake brought this up. I researched it. No, no, I know. This is a different one. Oh. The, uh, if you kiss your elbow, you turn into a girl. <laughs> if you kiss your own elbow. Now, I don't know who would have told him that or why he thought it was funny to see five- or six-year-olds See, now that's exactly why. Because so, both Shannon and Blake right now are trying to kiss their own elbows.
6: I
3: can't. I was wanting to well, want a girl. Well, you don't want to, do you? I don't
6: know. That's what I, I've it, never been a girl. Maybe it's way better. It seems a lot better. He said that to my Other cousins the and part. I, and
4: man, I was just terrified. I, really? I walked with my elbows so far away from my lips. Gary Hoffman.
6: What's
3: wrong with being
4: a girl? Exactly. That's not what your I was saying. A little say. sissy boy. I rest my case.
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are you afraid evidently? of? <laughs> uh,
4: <laughs>
6: but the other one was that your face would stick that way.
4: Yes, my mom also, used to always say that.
6: Not true, obviously. Uh, let me. I see don't know fun.
3: because you watch all that TLC programming, and your face comes in the next day like this. Oh. Skeptical, like, what?
6: Well, I don't want my legs to stop growing. The only explanation I could find is that this uh, this is a doctor that was honestly asked this question, and they said, there are a few neurological disorders that can cause temporary pra- paralysis of the face or head in a certain position, but they are involuntary, and some can be treated with Botox, uh, weirdly enough. That's how th- that's... <laughs> But and, okay. but not, no situation where you get slapped on the back and your face gets stuck that way. Uh,
4: we're talking with Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, about some good parenting myths. We'll come back to a, a couple of them. I love the whiskey on the gums, good for teething.
6: We're doing that one and whiskey for the common cold for adults. Oh. We will talk about that. Oh, really? is yeah. that?
3: A, yeah, I, I've wondered I about that. I did that in
6: college a couple of times. I swear it worked, but that's we'll find out. All
4: right,
3: all right, maybe. Gary and Shannon, if I am six forty. <laughs>
4: And our friend Justin Worsham, host of thedadpodcast.com. You can check it out at thedadpodcast.com. That's how you do it. We're talking about parental myths, those old uh, old wives' tales that parents sometimes tell their kids. Like the whiskey on the gums, it's good for your teething. I mean, yeah. if you take a little, little one-shot for you and a little just a dab on the gums for a baby... And that seems to make perfect sense. I mean, it's going to numb it a little bit, right?
6: Yep. Evidently, a third of parents in a survey were aware of this as an option, but only 1.9% admitted to actually trying it. And the research says that as little as a teaspoon of alcohol for an infant is very, very bad for their liver. Evidently, their livers aren't developed at a point where they can process uh, liver. Uh, if you subscribe to... Uh, my mom's philosophy: It's like, well, you got to train. You got to train. You
3: got to train your <laughs> you liver. Get that kid in. <laughs>
6: <laughs> but here's what I found: it Was interesting. there was a tonic, and it started in England, and it was called Gripe Water, and it was developed in 1851, and it contained about 3.6 percent alcohol. The suggested dose to a nine-pound baby would be the equivalent of an adult throwing back five shots of booze. Parents didn't know about this because it required, and it wasn't required to list in the ingredients. It wasn't required for them to say that there's alcohol in there. And the FDA didn't shut them down. You want to take a guess as the year when the FDA shut it? it started in 1851. How long did it take before the Food and Drug Administration in America to figure out maybe we shouldn't be giving these kids 3.6% alcohol? 72? 52?
3: 1972?
6: 1993. <laughs> Well, I, now it's a, sold in an alcohol-free form. <laughs> a, friend of mine, a friend of mine posted a prescription uh,
4: dated from 1962. A pediatrician wrote a prescription for a, a cough. Uh, you take a teaspoon of whiskey, a teaspoon of lemon juice, and a tablespoon of honey, and you mix it all together and you give it to your kid.
6: A.K.A. a hot toddy. Yeah. So my grandfather's remedy for a fever with my father was to put a sleeping bag in my dad's bed, have them put on their winter clothes, give them a shot of whiskey that, that he would pour into a glass of milk. And my dad remembers the whiskey almost oh. curdling the milk. Oh, man. And then he would just sweat it out like he was on a vision quest. <laughs> I,
4: I have done that before. In college, that was our our go-to. If any of us felt sick for any reason, we would take a couple of shots and put on the biggest sweatshirts and sweatpants that we had and all the blankets on the bed and, and sweat it out.
6: Well, According to WebMD, where I understand all things medical can right. be believed yes, and should be, absolutely. Uh, common colds cost $40 billion a year. I thought that was interesting, number one. But there is actual research, medical research, that says uh, alcohol can help with, obviously, as a pain reliever. That's why in like NyQuil and stuff, there is some kind of form of alcohol in a yeah. lot of the cold medications. And they say a hot toddy is the uh, best suggested home-ready, be- remedy for a common cold even better than chicken soup. Really? Chicken soup is a myth. But they said that research shows that a hot toddy, the alcohol, helps with the um, uh, pain relief, right, and relieve the achy body that you might have with a flu. And the honey and lemon and warmth of uh, the drink helps with, like, a soothe a sore throat.
4: Let's talk about the sugar thing, can we? Yes. That
6: sugar would make a kid hyper? Yes. Actually, a New England Journal did a study, and they showed that uh, sugar had no effect on a child's behavior at any point during the day. But what I found most interesting is that what they did find is that if your kid got sugar, as a parent, you were more sensitive to their behavior. So it had a weird, like, placebo effect on the parent That's more than funny. it had the actual well, effect the on the kid's actual behavior. I could see that. The other one, I, what?
4: Well, I am just going to say, because kids at a, you know, we, we talk, uh, a birthday party is a great example. Where everyone's eating cake and candy and stuff. You're just annoyed at the fact that there's 17 little munchkins around your house being loud. Yeah. It, it's not that they're being louder or, no. you know, wilder than they would be. Just, you're totally sensitive to it at
6: that. I point. remember as a kid too. My parents are divorced, so every once in a while I would go stay with my mom, and she would she would always like we would have sweets and stuff, and then but she would say, "Oh, you've had too much Pepsi," like randomly when she was getting frustrated with me asking her questions or something. And I remember going, "But I have Pepsi at home, and nobody cares." Like I don't understand. And I think it's because I was there very little, and so she was obviously hypersensitive when it's like, "All right, it's time to go to bed. You have too much Pepsi. We gotta go." Uh,
4: uh, and then finally, what
6: about yeah. the gum in my colon? The gum in your colon? Seven years, is that what you heard, too, if you yeah. swallow gum? If
4: swallow gum,
6: it's going to stay there forever. Not true. My kid has actually passed a rock. Uh, I'll tell you that after I give you this information. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's that uh, what actually happens is the sugars on and, and the gum are digestible, but the actual gum resin is not. And so the gum resin just will pass through with no problem. But I got the scary phone call from the preschool one time, where my and they said, we're so sorry, uh, Jacob has swallowed a rock. And so I go to pick him up and he's very upset and afraid because evidently the kids had said they would have to cut open his throat to go get the rock. Well,
3: that makes sense. Right. <laughs> you know, right? it's preschool. <laughs> right.
6: And, uh, oh, sorry. And so anyway, he, uh, we're going there and I said, no, son, you'll probably just like poop it out. I don't think we'll have to go get it, but I don't know yet. That's why we're going to go to the hospital and check because they couldn't tell me how big the rock was or the shape of it. They just said, he came to us and said, he swallowed rock. If I had seen it now that I have seen it, right. I would have been, oh, you're fine. But anyway, so the doctor felt around and goes, well, you're probably going to you're gonna have to sift through to make sure it passes. It'll probably come through tonight or tomorrow. Oh, boy. And so anyway, I told God, him,
3: I'm feeling good about my life yeah, choice. Yeah, date Leave to
6: lifestyle is the way to go, kids. Leave him in <laughs> the hospital. And so, but anyway, on the way to the hospital, I said, so there, you know, you'll probably just poop it out and there's a beat. And then he goes, well, can I still keep it?
3: I said, sure, bud. Also logical. Yeah. And now he wears
4: it around So his neck. anybody
3: who comes to my
6: house <laughs> and you see a little like kind of a uh, quarter shaped blue uh, polished rock. That son has been that, that rock has been through the journey of my son's intestines. Mm, incredible journey. You Justin, welcome,
3: thank you America. for leaving us with that nugget. <laughs> <laughs>
4: TheDadPodcast.com is where you can find Justin's stuff. We'll We're come doing back. more
6: of these myths with the pediatrician on the show in an upcoming oh, episode, too. Excellent. excellent.
4: Uh, Coming uh, up right.
3: next, everything everyone's talking about, we will get you all cut up. Caught up right here on Gary and Shannon. We
8: can be legends after
4: all. Gary and Shannon. Wow. All right. So all of this laid out in front of us. We have a bunch that we're going to get to in the second half of the show today. Chris Ancarlo is going to join us in a few minutes. You heard him there at the top of the hour news. We're going to go through that news conference we heard from Riverside County about the Turpins uh, and the $13 million bail that is going to be asked to keep them in jail. 37 counts against mom, 38 counts against dad. Could keep them in prison for... The rest of their
3: lives. I was listening to that news conference and I said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, mean, I must have said, oh, my God, about seven times because well, whatever you're imagining. Yeah, it was that bad.
4: There were a couple of reports early this morning. I think NBC News was the first to say that the kids didn't shower but once a year and were restricted to one meal a day. And,
3: and, I, and, and we were chained up for months or weeks at a time and, and we're not unchained to go to the bathroom. They had to just sit in their own filth.
4: They didn't even understand what the words pills or medicine meant. They didn't know what a
3: police officer was. When
4: the cops asked him if there was any in the house. No
3: knowledge of life.
4: We'll talk about all of that coming up. Uh, Again, there's an update on uh, strange science stuff that we're going to get to, some weird science stories we've been telling you about. And one of the things that we could have asked Justin about just now was the idea of suppressing a sneeze. Don't suppress your sneeze. It could be dangerous. Let it go. And didn't even think about that. Mm Mm-hmm. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight.
3: I you bet your hmm. bottom it does. Hey, what else is going on?
1: Time for What's Happening.
3: Here we go again with the talk of another government shutdown. President this morning saying a long-term extension of that children's health insurance program should not be a part of the spending bill. We haven't spent a lot of time on that uh, children's health insurance program. But it's a hot topic.
4: It is a hot topic, but it's one of those things that's already included in the bill. I, I don't understand. Well, I'm not sure I understand. I don't know. And no one's explained to me how the president tweets. Does he have a phone? I mean, does he have a phone like you and I do, and he just sits there and tweets, or is there somebody there who takes it down as dictation and then hits the tweet button? Because somebody should explain. That's not. The going to make me mad i'll just say this we're not going to have a government shutdown they are going to come up with a deal if it's a continuing resolution that only kicks the can down the road for two or three weeks then that's what they're going to do we will not see a government shutdown mark my words this that that being said we're less than 33 hours away from a potential government shutdown
3: this uh children's health insurance program provides low-cost health insurance to children and families that earn too much to qualify for medicaid Um, In some states, it covers pregnant women. Each state offers the coverage and then works with the Medicaid program to determine who is covered. This serial killer story out of Phoenix hit today. They say this guy, 35-year-old Cleophas Cooksey, killed his mother and stepfather, but that those were the eighth and ninth killings that they think he committed.
4: Yeah, they arrested him right away when they found those bodies after after a, a shots fired call. But a month later, they say that they had looked back and they've connected him to as many as seven other unsolved homicides Throughout the Phoenix metropolitan area, including killings in an alley, in an apartment complex out in the suburb of Glendale and in grassy fields not connected to anything.
3: They say he abducted a woman in Glendale, sexually assaulted her, killed her, dumped the body. Another victim is the brother of this guy's ex girlfriend. Meetings were set up online with some of these people.
4: Yeah, and there was there's no pattern, there was no necessary uh there's no method necessarily They did ballistics testing on the gun after he was arrested for killing his mom and stepdad. And they said that after that and this other evidence that they found, it led them to one body after another, after another. And they're saying these are the nine we know about, that there could be others.
3: This guy had a YouTube channel. He talked. He called himself King Playbola and began uh, recording himself rapping about women and drugs. Dimly lit videos. He's on the couch performing in front of the camera.
4: He, he spent his 20s, every moment of his 20s in jail for a series of different violations.
3: Amazon is in the news because of a second headquarters. They have said about 20 places could be the landing spot for this second headquarters, uh, including Los Angeles, the only uh, city on the West Coast named. The only city
4: west of the Rockies is what I saw. But but, uh, L.A., New York City, um, Toronto, some smaller U.S. cities like Worcester, Mass., Stonecrest, Georgia, all of these different places, wherever they choose, by the way, changes the economic landscape of that metropolitan area, whatever it is. And if it's a place like Stonecrest, Georgia it turns it into an economic engine for well, that state
3: 50,000 jobs
4: now it, it's a it would be huge if it were in LA I just don't understand what they could possibly get from LA yeah
3: or the state of be, California there would have to be concessions uh, Dylan Farrow in the news talking about the abuse that she has long said she suffered at the hands of her father Woody Allen Woody Allen denies it.
4: Dylan Farrow says that I mean, she's 32 years old now. She recounted her story of being touched by Woody Allen, who is uh, her adopted father, in August of 1992. She said she also experienced other incidents of inappropriate behavior with Woody Allen, including him asking her to come into bed with him when he was wearing only underwear. He has strongly denied the allegations. She said that the assaults occurred when she was uh, seven Uh, and decided to give her first public TV interview because of the groundswell of support for victims of sexual harassment and abuse.
3: Woody Allen says that when this claim was first made more than 25 years ago, it was thoroughly investigated by the Child Sexual Abuse Clinic of Yale New Haven Hospital and New York State Child Welfare. Many months went on, and those two independently concluded concluded that no molestation had ever taken place, and it seemed like she was coached by her angry mother, during the contentious breakup and then goes on to say that her older brother Moses said he had witnessed the mother doing just that interesting
4: there is a a terrifying video of American Airlines passengers they were on a small regional flight from Phoenix to Dallas
3: as a scared flyer I always look to the (laughs) flight attendant to make me feel better if the flight attendant's fine carrying on through ridiculous turbulence then I'm gonna be okay but when the flight attendants start freaking out that's when I freak out. It, I've never seen it happen, but that's kind of my barometer.
4: Exactly. How the flight attendants go is how you're going to go. If they're relaxed, you're going to be relaxed. Listen brace. to
3: this guy. No, 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 uh, if we have a little bit before then.
8: You will need to place your. Uh, you, you will need to be seated this one? in a yeah. brace position for landing.
0: To brace, place your feet flat on the floor, cross your wrist and hold onto the seat back
5: in front of you. Raise, uh, rest your hand
3: it was hands about on your wrist. Three minutes of him messing up. For those passengers seated in a forward row, that's that sounds row like one he's hyperventilating. Row four.
8: Place your feet flat on the floor, bend over, place your face in your lap, put your arms under your legs, and grasp your elbow.
3: Kiss your butt. He's uh, like the- trying not to cry here. Uh, apparently, there was uh, a mechanical problem. There was
4: smelled smoke. There was smoke, and they said it was a broken fan that was to blame for the accident or for the incident. They didn't. Everything. Everything, everything went was fine.
3: fine. Yeah, they landed without incident. Yeah,
4: but how do you, if they tell you to brace for for a landing, mm-hmm. what do you do?
3: Uh, I get out my Xanax, and I and take you, them all. You just empty it. <laughs>
4: empty that bottle. <body. laughs>
3: All right, uh, coming up next, Chris Ancarlo joins us with the horrific details of the day out of that home in Paris where those kids were kept shackled.
4: Gary and Shannon, will continue.
0: Gary and
1: Shannon,
4: about this time every hour, we tell you how you can win $1,000.
1: Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword CASH to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's CASH to 200-200. Don't
4: forget, you got to answer the phone. If you uh, you win, they'll give you a call, and if not, they'll move on to somebody else. But your next chance to win comes up an hour from now.
3: Well, that 17-year-old girl who looks like she's 10 who was able to crawl out of the window of her home in Paris to call 911 and rat out her parents who had been jailing and shackling her and her siblings for decades, was working on that escape plan for more than two years. That's just one of the details we heard out of Riverside today. Chris and Carlo was at the press conference, joins us now with all the latest.
5: Well, the latest is that this is even more depraved than we thought it was. That uh, The words coming from the district attorney here, Mike Hestron in Riverside County, as he was outlining all of the charges, there were uh, some new charges, one of them being a uh, one count of a lewd act on a minor. Um, all that we know on that is that at least once there was uh, improper touching of one of the uh, young girls by, um, by David Turpin, according to the DA's office here. Um, that, of course, adding another layer onto to this already horrific case uh, we also learned a little bit more about the fact that that 17 year old as you said uh, had been planning this for two years she wasn't the only uh, kid to escape at that point in time but the other kid ended up kind of you know turning around becoming afraid and turning around and going back she uh, she stuck to it until she was able to find police we also learned that because of the fact that they were homeschooled and they had no outside Uh, Interaction. They didn't know what basic things were, so the 17 year old did not understand uh, what a police officer was. Many of the kids did not understand what a police officer was. Also, as the cops were questioning the 17-year-old, one of the basic questions they asked her, is there any medication in the home that they should know about? She did not know what medication was. Uh, We know that they did learn how to read and write, presumably, because they were all journaling. That was the one thing that they were allowed to do. Uh, There were accounts of the fact that there were toys that were in the home, still in their packaging. The kids were not allowed to play with toys. It seems almost as if the parents, who would also go out and get food and eat it, in front of the kids we're, um, were doing things that were just beyond the reach of these kids that the kids desired according to a lot of the details and facts that were given to us by Mike Hestrin, uh just moments ago and you know the uh, the other things that we've learned as well as the fact that the family was nocturnal they slept uh, during the day and then they would awaken at night so they would go to bed sometime around 5 or 6 in the morning sleep on into the evening that would have helped them evade detection that also would have um, you yeah, uh, yeah added to the fact that these kids not only are malnourished, but you know we've heard accounts of the fact that they looked almost albino, that they were exceptionally pale. We also learned that at least one of the oldest kids was going to college, was going to a, a local campus, but was escorted by his mom, Luis, and uh, as soon as he was done with class, he was escorted right back home. So again, just more and more bizarre facts and details of this case continue to come out. Uh, they are expected to be arraigned here in Riverside County, coming up here in just about an hour.
4: Anything that we're going to see in court that we didn't see from this news conference?
5: I don't think so. I think they've uh, they've essentially laid out all the facts of the case to the to the news media. I think partially there are two reasons that they've done this. One is to again drive home just the depravity of this case, but also they're looking for more information because this is a pattern of abuse that stretches beyond this home in Paris. It goes back to their home in Marietta, so uh, the charges also because Marietta is also in Riverside County, stretched back to that home in uh, in Marietta, but also all the way back to Fort Worth, Texas, where they had a home. And one of the things that we learned is that the uh, the parents, David and Louise Turpin, would leave the kids at home, and, and they would leave for extended periods of time, and basically just leave food there as if uh, you know they were they were animals for for the kids to eat, and then come back. We didn't get a lot of nitty gritty detail on that, but that just uh, you know it's it's so bizarre. And they want to know if there are neighbors in Texas, neighbors in Marietta, even maybe uh, some other people in Paris that haven't spoken up yet that can provide more light, more details to this case.
3: When you heard the DA talk about this, it seems like they're treating the mother and father is equally culpable of all of this, and I'm just wondering if we're going to see them, number one, represented by two different attorneys, and number two, if we're going to see the, uh, or they will be represented by different attorneys, but if we're going to see the the mother roll on the father, because it's just so unlikely that two depraved people that are both into this kind of thing eventually in their lives, hey, let's have a bunch of kids and then uh, not feed them and chain them to beds and make them sit in their own waste, for two depraved people like that to find each other, you know, and, and we learned that the mother left home at 16 to marry this guy. I'm just wondering how much of the control she was under, or if they were just equally depraved individuals.
5: Yeah. One of the last questions that was asked in this news conference was whether or not David was exerting control over Louise, if uh, he was the mastermind behind all of this. And Mike Hestrin's response was, that's a very good question. I cannot answer it, and uh, and what that tells me is that yes, like likely, <laughs> exactly, yeah, and and also that they're working on building a wedge, yeah, right.
3: yeah, Chris and Carlo, excellent stuff. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, of course, guys. All right, uh, we come back.
4: right in We're going to get into Swamp Watch. The House uh, could vote today on a plan to keep the government running through. It looks like February sixteenth. Uh, The clock is ticking, so we're down uh, under 36 hours now of uh, money left before a potential government shutdown. Lana Zak is going to join us. We're going to talk about that when we come back on Swamp Watch.
3: Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640.
1: Drain the swamp. We're going to
6: drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together.
3: Well, House Republicans, some of them have cobbled together a plan to fund the government. But can that plan get through the House and through the Senate ahead of the possible shutdown Saturday? Great
4: question, they all said. Well, uh, Lana Zach." is going to join us here in just a second to uh, to talk about this. Lana, we understand that they're still working. We're working on a deadline now of what would be midnight, late Friday, early Saturday, right?
2: That's right. Midnight tomorrow is when time runs out for Congress to do their job and either pass a continuing resolution, which would is known as the kicking the can uh, option, or actually sending um, uh, a spending bill to the president's desk. But I, I've got to be honest, it's unclear even to those here at the Capitol uh, if there's going to be a deal or if there's going to be a government shutdown come Friday. We know that House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi says Democrats are opposed to a short-term fin- uh, funding deal. A continuing resolution, and that there are an increasing number of Republicans who say that uh, that they are done voting for CRs, and that there needs to be some level of an agreement.
3: All right. So refresh our memory. Say that no deal is reached by this right. deadline. Uh, what happens? What can people notice happening with a government shutdown?
2: All non-essential federal services, um, cease then come Saturday at 12.01 a.m. Saturday morning. That means, uh, the, the most profound effects of that, uh, are, are really for people who count on government checks, uh, senior citizens, uh, military personnel, um, uh, people on Medicaid. Uh, those checks don't get cut. Uh, there's also, if you're planning on going to a federal park, if it, if that federal park Requires um, an employee to open the doors or open the gates or plow the the streets. um, In the case of snowy, much of the snowy country, uh, that's not going to happen. So, um, any of the reach of federal programs that uh, that Americans count on, unless they are absolutely essential, which is really the military. So the military would continue to function. So if if, uh, Kim Jong-un decided that we were going to start a a war, um, the United States military would be able to respond to that. But um, absent the most essential of services, all federal government would shut down while Congress tries to negotiate a deal. Uh,
4: The the president has uh, inadvertently possibly thrown a speed bump into all of this with the tweet this morning saying that CHIP should be part of the long-term solution, not a 30-day short-term extension, CHIP being the children's health insurance program. Isn't that included in the Republican version of this that they're working on?
2: It is. And the the thing that sort of ironic, I guess, about it, is that Republicans actually put that in there as um, as a lure to try and get Democrats to sign on to the continuing resolution. Uh, the Child Health Insurance Program is something that has bipartisan support, but particularly among Democrats has been very important to them. And so they were promising as part of a, a 30-day continuing resolution stop measure that they would do a multi-year funding of the Child Health Insurance Program. Um, so the president's. Tweet- sort of seemed like he was uh, he was throwing cold water on the Republican proposal. Um, But uh, Senator John Cornyn of his party tried to clarify, no, it's not a a short term funding of CHIP. It would actually be a multi-year funding. And now we understand that the White House says that the president would be on board with that.
3: So even if they don't hit the deadline, 1201, that doesn't mean they can't get a deal at 1225 or or the following day or whatever. Right
2: once once the government shuts down, uh, then it is on Congress to come up with an agreement and once they do come up with an agreement, then the government can can start back up again
4: all right uh, the other aspect of this is immigration because it's still an issue that they're talking about uh, and the other the other tweet that the president got into was whether or not the wall is the wall and always has been the wall because right. then he started talking um, the Chief of Staff John Kelly had said that the president was uninformed when it comes to the wall. What's going on with that?
2: Yeah, so there were a lot of um, there were a lot of Republicans who were saying here uh, at the Capitol that they needed as part of of giving Democrats. um, And and there and it's worth noting that there are also several Republicans, uh, many Republicans that are in favor of, of granting some level of permanent status to the dreamers in In exchange for resolving DACA, that they needed some funding, uh, that they needed funding for the president's border wall and greater border security along the southern border. And so, uh, they, but they were trying to say that Wall doesn't necessarily mean a contiguous physical wall, and and trying to give a little bit of room for the president to have fulfilled that promise short of getting an $11 trillion wall built. Um, but the president uh, did not seem to take kindly to those suggestions and, and says that he's not willing to budge when it comes to his wall.
4: It's all very confusing to me. uh, Why we have to go through these continuing resolutions every six months? It feels—it seems like it's just. Well, and
2: you're right. And this is why. This is why so many people here in Congress feel like it's Groundhog's Day. That this is not the way to run a country, and that there shouldn't just be continuing resolutions. Fundamentally, at a certain point, uh, that they need to come up with an actual spending bill. But that that would take—that would take real work and compromise. Right. (laughs) Right. Weird. Therein lies the problem. Apparently. A
4: lot. Lana, thank you.
2: It's great to be with you, and hopefully, I'll be speaking with you about how we avoided a government shutdown. Exactly,
4: That's thank you, good. Lana Zach, there from the Capitol. Uh, exactly what's going on as these negotiations continue. Again, the, the shutdown, if it comes, wouldn't come until very late tomorrow night into Saturday morning. That's not to say that we're looking forward to it, but uh, there's they're they're still working. How's that
3: coming up next? The FBI may be investigating whether a top Russian banker. Use the NRA to funnel money to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Get out your conspiracy theory cloaks. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue
4: with our Swamp Watch in just a moment.
3: Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. FBI investigating whether a top Russian banker with ties to the Kremlin illegally funneled money to the NRA to help Donald Trump win the presidency. This is one of those stories where uh, it's really thin on uh, credible sources. Right. Two sources familiar with the matter have told McClatchy. This is... All about a guy named Alexander Torshin. He's the deputy governor of Russia's central bank. Has very close relationships with Putin and the NRA. And the sources say that FBI counterintelligence investigators are combing through his activities. Because, of course, it is illegal to use foreign money to influence an election.
4: It also says that the McClatchy story here says it's unclear how long the inquiry has been going on. But it comes as the special counsel sweeping investigation of Russian meddling. Uh, has been heating up. Mm. Do you feel like it's been heating up in the last... I well, mean,
3: I guess you could make an argument for it when they're now talking to Bannon since he's getting cl- they're getting closer and closer to the president uh, know, into the his inner circle.
4: Michael Flynn, Papadopoulos stuff, that was when it heated up, but it's just been kind of neutral. Papinostos
3: really... with that misfield goal? No,
4: no, different guy. Oh. But they also investigated that. Um, disclosure of this uh, torsion investigation is a, is a new dimension for all of this. Um, the NRA reported spending a record 55 million dollars on those elections, including 30 million specifically to the Republican candidate uh, Trump at the time, triple what they had devoted to backing Mitt Romney in 2012. Most of the money was spent by an arm of the NRA that is apparently not required to disclose the donors. And a couple of people who are connected to NRA said that the total election spending actually was was over $70 million. And they can explain that away by saying that the independent groups are not required to reveal how much they spend on Internet ads or field operations like the, the get-out-the-vote efforts. So uh, the president, then-candidate Trump, said at a rally, if she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. And then they threw in the line, although the Second Amendment people, may be, maybe there is, I don't know. And everybody pointed, to, why that's in the story, I don't understand. It was a boneheaded thing for him to say, but uh, I don't know. More more problems there. The president, by the way, is in Pennsylvania today. I uh, stopped there, brought his uh, daughter with him, and he was talking about the economy he also said he was going to be at a campaign rally to support a state representative, Rick Sicone. He has a special House election coming up in March, I believe, against Democrat Connor Lamb in a special election that's coming up. And that district did go for Trump last year, uh, two years ago, I guess, in the presidential race. But the Republican Party is pretty eager to make sure that Connor Lamb doesn't come off and pull an upset win. Because they don't want to have any more democratic momentum going into the midterms, and this is just a special election, but they don't want anything happening that would uh, point the needle in the Democrat direction before they get to November. By the way, this is a guy who is so firmly ensconced in the president's butt. It's uh, it's not. Mm. Uh, he has he has said that he was Donald Trump before Donald Trump was Donald Trump. He was Trump before Trump is the actual term that he used. Now, the president said in his visit today to a manufacturing company, he says, Rick is a great guy, I think he's going to do really well. He's a great guy, loves this area, loves this country. So the president's uh, official reason for going to Pennsylvania was uh, to tout the Republican tax form. And they also talked about getting a, a total support to this uh, state representative who will be running for the for Congress. So.
3: Well, we have told you all the latest details coming out of that home in Paris where those kids were kept up, kept chained weeks and months. And we're going to go through all those details when we come back uh, following Amy's news. But another uh, another angle is remember we told you about the parents of the dad and how they were talking about how they had visited Uh, the family six years ago and that the, the siblings were normal they didn't argue they called each other sweetie they were great kids well a reporter with the associated press has reached out to those parents following all the details that we've learned over the course of our show today and he won't believe it he says he doesn't believe it and he wants to talk to the kids about what the real story is oh okay
4: because somehow there's a conspiracy within the Riverside County DA's office and sheriff's department to put these people away for being good people. He thinks the kids
3: are lying. That they weren't chained up for days or weeks or months at a time. They weren't made to sit in their own filth and not allowed to wash it off with a shower all but once a year. It would be great if that was a made up story. Unfortunately, the pictures prove otherwise. More on that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon,
1: KFI AM
3: 640. It is Thursday, which means coming up we are going to be talking with Mark Saltzman for Tech Doc. Best ways to make money online, uh, internet job scams. We'll be talking to him about that, among other things. Also, strange science. Studies got an idea of how to reduce the risk of opioid addiction. We'll talk about what that study details.
4: Well, we wanted to. Fill us, fill you back in on uh, the news conference that we carried for you live a few hours ago. Uh, Riverside County D.A. Mike Hestrin outlined the case of human depravity that he called it against the Turpins, the the parents who were accused of confining 13 of their kids, uh, seven of them adult children, in their home in Paris. And... We know that there were allegations of some sort of abuse while they were in Texas, although charges haven't been filed. He outlined a case where the parents actually lived apart, for the most part, apart from the kids and would stop by and drop off food uh, to them, but wouldn't take care of them, were not there on a regular basis. And then once they moved to California, somewhere around the eight years ago mark, that the abuse got exponentially worse.
3: This family would sleep all day and were up all night. One of the reasons those kids are so pale. As punishments, the couple began tying up the kids with rope. But in one instance, one of the kids who was hog-tied was able to get out of the ropes. So that's when they started using chains and padlocks to keep them chained to beds. Now, they would not, be able to get out of the chains if they had to go to the bathroom, all right? So they were left to sit and sleep and live in their own waste and not allowed to shower except for once a year. Now, just, just pause for a minute and think about that. Think about not showering for a week. Maybe go camping or something. You can't wait to get home and shower. It's just maybe a couple days go by can't wait to get in that shower a year. And now imagine that you are left in your own waste and not being able to shower for a year.
4: Yeah, and and, and we've said this multiple times about these kids. This is what they grew up in, so they don't know what normal would be. To them, not showering once, uh, on, except for once a year, that was normal for them. Now imagine that's been programmed into them in some cases for almost three decades. Now they have to break out of that. And they have to be taught what is normal. In fact, when the DA was outlining this case, he was talking about how malnourished that that these kids were. They were so malnourished. Not only did they have obvious, you know, uh, muscle atrophy in some cases. They were so small that I think the 29-year-old was 82 pounds that it caused cognitive um, disability. Nerve damage. It caused nerve damage. They had no idea. When the officers showed up, when the deputies showed up responding to the 911 call on Sunday morning, they asked some of the kids if there was any medicine that they needed to take or any pills in the house. They had no idea what they were talking about. They didn't understand the words pills and medicine. They, In fact, the DA said that these kids didn't even know what police meant.
3: Didn't know what a police officer was. Now, the 17-year-old that escaped through the window and was able to use an old phone to call 911, she actually escaped with another one of her siblings, but that sibling was too scared. She, she or he turned back and went back to the house. But they said today that this 17-year-old had been working on a plan, an escape plan, with her siblings for two years. Two years they've been trying to figure out how the hell to get out of there. One of the things that they would do They would buy food. The parents would buy food. They would feed themselves all the time. Sometimes they would buy pies, apple pie, pumpkin pie, and leave it on the counter in in the kitchen and let the kids look at it, smell it, whatever. But they weren't allowed to have any taunting with food. Uh, There were toys found in the house, all unopened toys. They weren't Just allowed weird. to have toys.
4: Some of the shots that I saw earlier today were uh, some of the sheriff's deputies and other investigators that have been going through the house and taking evidence out. And in the garage, you could see stacks of board games, for example, that didn't appear to have been used ever.
3: One of the reasons they were punished and chained to the bed for days or weeks or months at a time was when they tried to wash themselves. When they washed their hands above the wrist area... They were punished for what the parents called playing in the water. They had not been to a dentist ever. No doctor in at least four years. They were locked in different rooms.
4: Those that um, that the girl that eventually made her way out on Sunday morning told and uh, told the deputies what had happened even had pictures apparently on the phone to show the deputies about the conditions that they were in which is what prompted the deputies to go save these kids when the deputies arrived a couple of kids aged 11 and 14 had just been unchained and a 22 year old was still chained to whatever piece of furniture he or she was chained to to prevent them from leaving i guess all of this being said mom and dad are due in court sometime this afternoon They've been charged with 12 counts of torture. Uh, by the way, the DA explained they didn't have evidence to prove that the two year old was tortured. Well, so because the it's two year old, they,
3: they said the two year old had enough to eat because the two year old was probably being breastfed.
4: Think about that. So, 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, seven counts of abuse for the adults, six counts of child abuse for those under 18, and one separate charge against dad or lewd act on a child under 14 by force or fear.
3: And That's one count. So they believe it happened one time to one of the girls.
4: But they said, we'll find very, out. but he was very clear in saying mm-hmm. we are just at the, beginning the, beginning, of this investigation. the beginning of the
3: investigation. Absolutely. Um, journals. They were allowed to journal. They were allowed to write in journals, but you know what? I don't know how much you're going to be able to glean from those because it's not like you're going to detail the hell you're living in. If, It's your parents that are orchestrating the hell and are going to read your journal. You know what I mean? It's it's probably only going to be things that the parent wouldn't have made the parents upset, you know, because, you know, the parents are reading the journals. It's not like they're private journals, I wouldn't assume. And the D.A. referred to there being hundreds of those. Yeah.
4: I don't know if I thought originally he meant hundreds of pages, but he did say hundreds of journals. Uh, that these kids were required well, to write in. if that's all
3: they were able to do or required to write in them, then that's probably, we're talking about 30 years. The oldest oldest one's 29.
4: I just, I, I'm still having a hard time it's wrapping one of, my.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, we've all talked about it off the air. It Not a lot surprises you when you've worked in news for a long time. Not a lot of it hits you when you go, oh, God, this one is one of those ones that cuts through.
4: Well, I, I'm, that's a good point. I mean, you think about the stories that have have caught you off guard and totally surprised you. It's never a, a multiple murder case, or you know, a, even a workplace shooting, or even a school shooting. Unfortunately, I mean, we we see those so commonly. It's the story about J.C. Dugard, who was held captive for eighteen years. or but whatever But you can it was, understand
3: that one because it was a stranger abduction. The hard thing about Uh, this is these were their parents. This was their own flesh and blood. Your parents were supposed to look out for you, and all they did was torture those kids. And it wasn't one kid or two kids or even five. It was 13 kids from 29 years old to two.
4: And if the abuse started when they only had three or four of these kids... Why would they continue to have them? But you pointed this out. It wasn't an issue of, you know, they were frustrated or upset with the kids or they couldn't handle what was going on. It was all about control. And that's it. That's what made this so it wasn't just about an abuse thing that they're trying to keep the kids in line because they were disruptive. It's all about control and exerting control. And the more kids you had, the more control you were able to exert.
3: And I think we're going to find out the mother was under that control as well.
4: It'd be interesting. You uh, you raised that question with Chris uh last hour about whether or not mom would would flip and turn state's evidence in this.
3: Mom's attorney will have her flip. You think so? It doesn't matter what mom wants. I mean, that's a smart play. All right. Uh you want to give
1: away some money or something?
4: I think that's a fantastic idea. Okay. How about 1000 bucks?
1: You're shot at $1000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200-200.
4: And as we have been telling you, you got to answer the phone. If you win, they will give you a call. But you have to answer the phone to get that $1,000. If for some reason you don't win, I don't know why you wouldn't. But if you don't, we'll play again next hour with John and Ken and then all the way through the Conway Show at 620 tonight. Start it all again tomorrow
3: morning. Tech Talk
1: machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet.
3: I was just expecting you to hit it right after that. I didn't know I had to, like, you know, say Tech Talk. Tech Talk. Tech Talk. Mark Saltzman, columnist for USA Today, overall tech guru, joins us on Thursdays around this time to talk with us about, you guessed it, tech.
4: Hey, guys. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm good. I'm well, thanks. How about you? uh, We're still recovering from our time at CES.
8: Oh, yeah. And I know you've been covering some very heavy news as well, so it's hard to pivot
4: and then talk about... Silly things like gadgets.
8: Uh, no, I'm excited no, I'm to talk you. about yeah, silly
3: yeah. things.
4: Everybody wants to hear this after the the yeah. nastiness that we've had I to talk you. about. So,
8: yeah. So I know we spoke last week, and uh, apologies uh, after the fact for just being totally distracted. 180,000 people showed up in Vegas for this uh, massive tech show. So I was talking to you outside of the Las Vegas Convention Center uh, in that whirlwind of a of, of a show. It's this annual mecca where geeks like uh, yours truly head to Sin City to see what's coming down the road. That's what CES is all about. So it was a great show. I gave you a couple of highlights uh, last week. We talked about automotive tech, if I'm not mistaken. We talked about autonomous or self-driving vehicles. We also talked about big screen TVs. And I think we're going to continue our chat with a few things coming down the road um, and so on. So, yeah, I'm always looking forward to chatting with you guys.
4: Excellent. Well, let's talk about some of the stuff that's coming down the road.
8: Yeah. So, as you know, we've been talking every Thursday on this Tech Talk segment about a lot of times over the past year or so about these voice-controlled personal assistants in the home, a la you know, Amazon Echo and other Alexa-powered devices. And then more recently, Google's been on a t- uh, tear with Google Home. But what was really interesting about uh, the Consumer Electronics Show is that almost every product had this voice technology built in from, believe it or not, toilet seats and shower heads to TV remotes and thermostats, but one area that we didn't talk much about last week was these new smart screens. So we already have the um, Amazon Echo Show, which is not just a microphone and a speaker in your home, but also a screen and a camera that shows you information. And now Google had f- four of them last week, four or five. Uh, the one that I liked the most was from JBL called the Link View. So it looks like sort of like a Sonos speaker, and it does have really good audio, by the way. But it does have a a uh, a six inch screen built in and it does let you see content. So now when you ask Google to show you the weather for the week or how long will it take for me to get to work, play me some Spotify or Pandora, whatever you want to ask it, you are now going to get something visual to complement it. So that was a big trend. A lot of companies had their own Lenovo had one as well, but the uh, JBL link view, which is coming this summer I thought had the best audio. Out of out of all of them. But now it's going to be all complemented with a screen.
4: Did, was there a lot of movement? One of the things that frustrates me about Bluetooth technology, you know, home speakers, et cetera, is you can only use one device on one speaker and one speaker only. Are we going to have multi-room availability for some of this stuff?
8: Not with Bluetooth, but with Wi-Fi. So that, like I mentioned Sonos earlier, they're probably the best-known brand for multi-room audio. It doesn't use Bluetooth for a couple of reasons. Wi-Fi is just a, a better way to distribute sound, and that means you can play the same song in, in all the rooms that have a Sonos speaker or play something different per room. Uh, you know, mom and dad may want some jazz while the kids want hip-hop, hip-hop and so on. But so Bluetooth is good for a... A one-to-one connection now you can do a couple of devices because Bluetooth is is evolving as well with Bluetooth 4.0, broader distances and more devices tethered to that one speaker. but it's still primarily a one-to-one thing. Wi-Fi is is better for multi-room audio. Right. So these all use Wi-Fi. as you know with Amazon products and Google home and all that, there's no local storage. it's all in the cloud, if you will. It's all on google uh, Google's end and on Amazon servers. So that's where these smart screens come in. And perhaps the coolest feature of the echo spot, um, sorry, and the JBL view and these other ones are, is the ability to make free phone calls over free video phone calls over Wi-Fi while you're chatting with uh, your your friends. So you can do that through the speaker without needing a landline.
3: Advertisers had some issues with YouTube. Would their ads show up alongside, I don't know, ISIS videos or something like that? Mm-hmm. And YouTube's trying to address that problem now, right?
8: Yeah, with good old humans. So before humans. they were like very, I know. Can humans? you believe it? That doesn't make any. It so flies in the school. face of logic, <laughs> right? So traditionally, uh, Google, who owns YouTube, would employ uh, programmers. That was basically that the way where it ended. The programmers then worked on AI or artificial intelligence uh, to to comb through these videos to look for anything uh, suggestive or anything that would that would breach the uh, policies of YouTube. But now they are putting. Good old humans in charge to act to watch with with our eyes uh the content before advertisers have their content linked to it because they had as you can imagine uh especially after the celebrity video blogger Logan Paul who has over fifteen million followers with what happened with his um channel on on YouTube when he when he went to the was it Suicide Force, I think it's referred yep. to in Japan and they showed somebody so this this is uh, obviously it was very disturbing and there was a lot of backlash after that but uh and then a lot of advertisers uh, over 250 of them in fact uh decided to pull out some funds and then they came back but the idea is that humans are now going to be going through only the top tier videos, like the really big channels that have, you know, millions and millions of viewers that they're going to make sure that this doesn't happen again, where you are paying your, if you're a company and you're giving YouTube a lot of money to advertise that it's not beside anything controversial. It's a good move. It's a good move. And it it will create jobs too. If nothing
4: else, just, just PR wise, it's a good move.
8: So. Yeah, but I I think they're, you know, I mean, of course, yeah, they have to save face. But um I think they're doing the right thing. You're right, for a couple of reasons. The only downside in that same announcement to adding humans to comb through these uh, videos to make sure the content is okay before advertising dollars are spent on it. The only downside is for folks like myself who creates uh content for YouTube is that YouTube is making it harder now for us to make money from ads. You have to now have like... 4,000 hours of your videos viewed over a 12-month period and a minimum of 1,000 followers. So they're making it a little bit more difficult for us to make some money from views. But I think overall they're doing the right thing.
4: Well, speaking of making money, uh, there was another USA Today article about innovative ways to make money online. These, Some of these were fascinating.
3: Bless you.
8: Yeah. So
4: call, who was that?
8: God, is that Oscar? That was Shannon.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: Shannon. Wow.
8: All right.
3: I'm a loud sneezer. <laughs> That's
8: good. You know, there is that mute button, right? No, I had That's it f- on. Whoa, that was through <laughs> Gary's mic. It was yeah. loud yeah. enough <laughs> that she was okay. across the room and did that. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, uh, so yeah, you're right. Kim Commando, a colleague of mine at USA Today, she's a freelance contributor, uh, as am I. She had an article called 11 Best Innovative Ways to Make Money Online." So this is a way to sort of combat the the scams that we many of us see in our either our social media feeds or in an email saying, "Hey, you can make five thousand dollars a week," but by doing this and this, so you know, obviously most of those are, you know, right out scams. But there are ways you can make money from stock for, stock photography to watching videos uh, to creating content for people, like doing like little jobs like video editing or audio, you know, voiceover work. So there are a lot of jobs that you can do, uh, you know, working from home in front of your computer. It probably will only supplement your primary income instead of replacing it. But nonetheless, there is a good article if you want to Google 11 best innovative um, jobs, and then you'll find some some good ones. Did any of them stand out for you, Gary? Is there anything you like there? Well, I this- liked
4: the um, the one that I've kind of heard versions of, Mechanical Turk, mm-hmm. which is a marketplace. You just sign up as a worker, and then you choose which of these tasks you want to complete.
8: Yeah, that's right. So a lot of them is uh, working online in in different areas. I don't know that much about Mechanical Turk, but there's one that I've used uh, called Fiverr, if you've heard of this app, F I -I V E R R. If you're good with, you know, if you're a student and you want to make some spare cash in in creating a logo for a company or a business card uh, or some little video editing or audio editing, um, you can make, uh, you know, it's called Fiverr because the concept is that for as low as $5. You can hire somebody. But obviously, it's going to be hard to make money at that level. But really, it has grown and matured since then. And uh, so, yeah, Fiverr is one I think is similar, um, where you're doing bulk work. So you may only make 10 or 20 or $40 uh, a day, but it does add up. If you're good at it and you're really efficient with your time, um, then uh, Fiverr or Mechanical Turk is a good way to, to create some content. It's, a, it's kind of like uh,
4: Uber for creative services. The one that I was a little uh, creeped out about was the zeal, which is massage therapy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Questionable. Um,
8: Questionable. No thank
3: you.
8: <laughs> yeah. Well there are some legit there's one called massago where mm-hmm. like it is like Uber for massages. It's legit, it's totally screened mm-hmm. and vetted professionals who will come to your home and uh give you a massage they 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 come with all the gear but yeah right right so (laughs) this is i think i think i don't think you need to be a registered massage therapist for for zeal i think Uh, that's i could be wrong but i don't think so Eh, mark
3: saltzman you can follow him at mark with a c underscore saltzman he is the tech columnist for usa today and our tech guru here on the show mark thanks for your time
4: and to you guys thanks so much Shannon, gary you bet uh, yeah, that raises questions. Massage therapy. I'm going to read to you the description here from this article about uh, Zeal. And again, this is, a, I guess, a freelance massage thing you can do online. If if you're going to start out, you have to build a client list or find a job at a massage center. That's mm-hmm. where Zeal is looking to change things.
3: It's run by Heidi Fleiss.
4: No, no, I wouldn't go that far. But it says the app lets clients connect with massage therapists for same-day massages mm-hmm. in Sex.
3: their homes. That's As sex. the
4: massage therapist, you receive a notification when someone near you wants an appointment. Somebody
3: would like sex.
4: Zeal says that massage therapist gets a 75% of each payment plus a 75% cut. Plus it automatically handles any fees for late cancellations and for safety. Zeal says it has an ID verification system on the client side. So they know who wants sex. And massage therapists can rate the clients so any problematic ones would get weeded sex. out. And it, they said it's currently available... In over 50 cities. You know what else is available in over 50 cities? Prostitutes? Craigslist is what I was going to say.
3: Oh, yeah, that's another one. Go to Craigslist
4: and look for a massage there. Who
3: is getting a massage from a stranger on an app or a Craigslist? Who is that? Who is that guy? Look at me. Well, I'm looking around trying to figure out, like, let's just think about the people on this floor. Can you picture anybody on this floor? Yes. Uh, Who? Which side? That side?
4: Yeah. I mean... Chris Little? No. um, There are people, I think, who would probably go that route.
3: And it's not because they're bad
4: people. They just have a
3: hard time, you know, initiating contact with people. Yeah. That's sad. That makes me sad now.
4: You know what will make you sadder? Hmm. Use that little computer box you got in front of you. Type in Craigslist massage therapist.
3: I'm on it.
4: It's a bad idea. It's a bad, bad idea. We also have some other stories. Oh, Los Angeles
3: Therapeutic Services. Mm -hmm. What's a Big Apple massage? Click.
4: (laughs) Uh, We have some good science stories when we come back. To uh, when we come back, cute
3: Asians to relieve your stress. Fit, attractive therapist because that's key. Because you need your your massage therapist to be fit and attractive. No, you don't. Looking to relax? I can help you. Want you really feel good. Charming co-ed with caring touch in Northridge. You never know what you are missing. You
4: don't need those. Oh, here's one. I
3: want to massage you in caps. I'm going to click on that one.
4: Why would you? uh, Should I have not suggested this? Because I feel like you're going to go to a very dark place and not be able to come back from it. And I I can tell because I'm looking at you. I can't see what's on your screen, but I can see your face. (sighs) When things go bad, you get a you get a look on your face.
3: Let me put a smile on your face. Oh West Side. West Side? She looks nice. She looks nice. I bet that's not who shows up.
4: (laughs) (laughs) All right. We come back. We'll get into some of these cool science, weird science we'll call them strange science stories when we come back.
3: Ooh. Male therapist.
4: Gary and Shannon He brings continue.
3: his own table.
4: That's not all he brings. you it so
0: easy to
4: Gary and Shannon. Well, we... Uh, have talked already uh, and John and Ken are going to talk a little bit more about the news conference from earlier today. Riverside County, the DA came out and explained 37 counts against mom, 38 counts against dad. In the case of uh, the Turpins, the, the parents who had kept their 13 children captive in that home in Paris, uh, they're going to ask for $13 million bail against both of them. So, uh, Also, the, the other stories: the guy accused of nine murders in Phoenix, They said that they caught him for the last two, but that they've now connected him to seven others. And uh, whether or not we have a government shutdown late tomorrow night will depend on whether or not Congress can pull its uh, collective uh, heads out of 535 collective bottoms.
3: Can we not think about those bottoms? Mm. Hey, I've got a collection of science stories here.
4: All right. Interesting. Are they odd? Yeah,
3: they're all good. Okay, well, Um, let's do
4: odd science.
3: That doesn't really have a nice ring to it. You know we like alliteration what in the program. What would you consider then? Mm, strange? Spook? Oh, strange.
1: Strange science.
3: It's, alive.
1: it's like weird science, but strange. I got some
3: alliteration. Stupid show. show sucks today. Yeah. Tell me
4: about (laughs) it. Whatever that guy was. Good times. Well, where do you want to start with our... Let's uh, talk about drunk driving. All right. This is an interesting story. A U.S. government-commissioned report by a panel of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. It's come out with a bunch of recommendations for trying to curb alcohol impaired driving deaths there in the are
3: 10,000 of them each year and it wants to lower the blood alcohol concentration threshold from .08 to
4: .05 that isn't a it isn't a huge change in what you would be allowed is that the right word allowed or what that you would be capable of drinking before you reach that limit
3: i usually say two drinks Two drinks, and then I'm done if I'm driving home or driving anywhere, right? Um, And I usually think that two drinks will get to about 0.08, right? Well, they're saying that, no, that two drinks for women over 120 pounds would be about 0.05.
4: And that's the limit that they're talking about, is lowering it from 0.08 to 0.05. Right now, every state in the union has a 0.08 threshold when it comes to driving under the influence. And they're... Is it? I think Utah is the only one that will go down, but that doesn't take place until the end of this year, down to a 0.05. But if that's the case, if women, most women basically, would reach 0.05 after two drinks, and men up to about 160 pounds would do it at two drinks, if you're over 180 pounds, it would take you about three drinks. That doesn't change a whole lot from what you would see if the limit was 0.08. That's roughly in that same area. But... They're saying that by doing that and by reducing things like uh, the hours and days that alcohol is sold, by increasing alcohol taxes, all of that could lead to an 11% reduction in traffic crash deaths. Not everybody likes this idea. If you're a restaurant owner, uh, if you're in the alcohol industry, you don't like this idea because the last thing you want is for people to be super self-conscious about what it is that they have when they go out for dinner. And the American Beverage Institute, for example, I, I mentioned Utah. When Utah's new law goes into effect at the end of the year, the the uh, the limit for blood alcohol content will be .05. The American Beverage Institute took out a full-page newspaper ad opposing Utah's law that had a fake mugshot that said, Utah! come for vacation, leave on probation. And they said that this would do nothing to deter any repeat offenders or drivers with high blood alcohol levels, and most of those are the ones that are involved in those alcohol-impaired driving deaths. And that the Distilled Spirits Council of America doesn't support the report's recommendation for tax increases because it would have little or no impact on traffic safety. Hey, at least it's a discussion. At least it's a beginning of something.
3: There was a study done about reducing the risk of opioid addiction. Wouldn't that be nice? Study was published yesterday. And it says that maybe the answer is higher doses, but fewer refills. It found that for every additional week a patient takes drugs like oxycodone and hydrocodone, the chance that he or she will wind up abusing the drug increases by 20 percent. That's interesting. Every time a prescription for opioid painkillers is refilled, the risk of abuse rises by 44 percent. This was wide ranging. They looked at data from more than one million Americans who had health and pharmacy insurance through Aetna. All of them had some kind of surgery between 08 and early 2016 and 56% of them filled a prescription for an opioid pain reliever after their procedure. The records showed that about 5900 people wound up misusing the opioids. It's about 0.6% of the entire sample.
4: Well, that's that's a, a tiny number. That's good.
3: But it's still too many.
4: Well, it's interesting. That
3: they, That's just eight years of surgeries. They're saying okay.
4: that as the, as the years went by, doctors, whether they did this intentionally, like through a, an organized effort or it was just the way they felt about it, doctors tended to prescribe lower doses of painkillers and spread them out over those long periods of time. But like you said, those numbers that you mentioned in the beginning, every week, every additional week that a patient takes a drug like that, the chance that they will abuse that drug increases by 20%. And every time you fill a prescription uh, is refilled, I should say, you risk abuse, uh, the risk of abuse rises by 44%. That's a pretty significant story in that when the team analyzed all the data to figure out which factors are most closely aligned with the risk of misuse, the one that stood out was the number of prescriptions filled after those patients left the hospital or clinic. You mentioned your friend who had painkillers in and noticed an immediate change in her mentality of she didn't feel like she needed them but she was hyper aware that they were always in the medicine cabinet
3: right and it's just crazy because she's not an addict in any way and uh you know you, you see that on intervention like uh when addicts will do that um they'll they'll their all their thoughts are um you know, saturated with whatever their, their drug of choice is, right? Like when, what's the next time you're going to get it? Where is it? Where am I going to get it? How am I going to get it? Everything is about that drug.
4: And they're hyper-focused on that.
3: Right. And so she found, and she just took one after a surgery of some kind and said that she started thinking about these pills where they were in the medicine cabinet. She started thinking about it all the time. She's like, what the hell? I get rid of these things.
4: Uh, We'll come back and do another couple of strange science stories, including the story about the straw in the turtle nose. If I thought that a straw that I used would end up in the nostril of a sea turtle, I would never use a plastic straw again.
3: I agree. Shut up. What do you mean shut up? What do you care more about, the convenience of a plastic straw or the sea turtle? And you better say the sea turtle. Or I'll kill you.
4: Gary and Shannon will continue. Strange science. <music> Did
0: I take it all back? Take it all back. Take it all back. Take
4: it all back. Gary and Shannon. <laughs> We're doing people. some uh, strange science stories. John and Ken coming up in a few minutes. I saw this. Actually, I heard this earlier today, and I didn't realize it was a thing, but several city council members in the great city of the Angels have absolutely nothing to do. So Mitchell Farrell and Nuri Martinez co-introduced a motion to create an ordinance to regulate the use of plastic straws. Oh, and for the Bureau of Sanitation to report on options that business owners may use as an alternative materials uh, for straws.
3: <clears throat> this is like that uh, Mylar balloon. Oh, my. Remember God. that?
4: It's just, it's a. Here's Mitch Farrell. If I thought that a straw that I used <laughs> would end up in the nostril of a sea turtle. I would never use a plastic straw again. Okay, well. Okay, that
3: sounds like a skit. That sounds like. Uh, totally. It Sounds like, like, like a a Steve Carell or something acting like a lobby Joe. A lobby Joe saver. Right? The city
4: council motion would also direct staff to report on current legislative proposals that seek to minimize the use of plastic straws and whether the city should adopt a position. If you're uh, the unnamed city staff and this crosses your desk. Uh, wait, you want me to. Well, hold on. You want me to see whether or not McDonald's should use plastic straws? Granted, I know that there's a, uh, there, there is a way to uh, exclude fast food restaurants here. But Assemblyman Ian Calderon Whittier also says he wants to introduce on a state level something that would prohibit sit-down eateries in California from providing straws to customers unless they are requested.
3: Well, you know what? It's not cool though.
4: I'm not the only time Oscar and I talked about this. The only time I use a straw, I think on a regular basis is in the car. Yeah. If I have a drink in the car, I prefer to have a straw. Yeah,
3: but think of all the people who eat fast food and go to, you know, McDonald's two, three times a day and stuff. I mean, the straw The straws are consistently on the top 10 list for marine debris. And if they're killing Please turtles, tell me you looked
4: that up and you don't just know that off the top of your is head. Is it
3: bad to know? That I, because I care about the animals. It
4: would be very unShannon-like for you to know that straws are in the top ten list of marine. <clears throat> Did refuse. you know that
3: we use five hundred million straws a day, and that that's enough to circle the plant planet two and a half times?
4: Stifling a sneeze can rupture your. throat. Now imagine
3: that on a global scale.
4: A lot of people, when they feel a sneeze coming on, block all the exits. You ever tried that one? I don't think one? it's
3: too bad to have a straw only on request.
4: Thirty-four-year-old guy shows up into an emergency room in England recently. I don't know why you hate the turtles? With a swollen neck and extreme pain,
3: <sighs> like a turtle.
4: A CAT scan confirmed what they suspected that when he tried to halt a sneeze by pinching his nose and holding his mouth closed,
3: Oscar does he, this sometimes. He tore
4: out the back of his throat.
3: Oscar does this sometimes. I've seen him stifle don't a sneeze do don't stop doing that
4: you could do it like
3: this oscar you,
1: you know what i sneeze really loud doesn't one doesn't matter and then two i'll i'm like that guy who does five six sneezes in it's a okay. row that's all right and i get embarrassed a little bit No, my
3: face turns
4: all red here's the key don't use your hands to stop your sneeze as
0: in like
3: hold my nose
4: do not hold your nose i don't think you cover should your mouth. let your sneeze you can,
3: freak flag fly you can try
4: to stifle your own sneeze like yeah. this
3: like yeah. that okay but you can't block
4: the exits. Right. I
3: have popped my ears a couple times, you know, trying to hold my nose down. Don't and do that. Yeah. How many times do I have to tell you don't do that? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Well, no. I mean, we're sorry. In rare cases. The next time,
1: the next time it happens, I'm going to do that six sneezes in a row and you guys are going to look at me by the last one and go, Shut up, please.
4: I know it. I already know it. (laughs) They said in rare cases that stifling a sneeze has led to a condition in which air can get trapped between your lungs and even a rupture of a cerebral aneurysm, Mm. which would be the ballooning blood vessel in the brain. So halting sneezing via blocking the nostrils and mouth is a dangerous maneuver and should be avoided. So says the doctor. Just so we know. Are you still looking at Craigslist masseurs? No. Oh.
3: Did you know there was a women's march this weekend downtown? Women's March Part 2. I didn't know that. I didn't get my... You uh, heard
0: about the controversy
3: over that? No. I'm not not. making
0: this up. They're not going to wear their pink vagina hats this year. Okay. Because it was discriminatory discriminatory against women who do not have vaginas. Stop it. Or who don't have pink ones. I have a... I didn't know this, but the organizers claim they come in (laughs) colors. Like rainbow no, this, colors. This was, I apparently brown is one of the selections. This was in the paper.
3: Different colored.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so the whole pink thing uh, on your head was discriminatory and not inclusive. And
3: oh my god.
0: <laughs> I can't make this up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish you were. <laughs> no, no, really. They're eating. They're eating their own now. They're they're all in there's internal feuding over this.
3: Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't.
0: You can't go on, can you? It's hard to. So you know you what? That, are, that's
3: a pretty good life if you're... If that's cons- what you're arguing about? If that's about. what you're concerned about, d- <laughs> the different colored <laughs> vagina hats. <Yeah>. That, <laughs> yeah, all I your mean, kids th- are
4: fed. Think of all of the sea turtles with straws in their noses right now. They don't get to worry about the
0: color of their vagina. <laughs> that, that hats. Is, exactly. That is the sign of of oppression. Yeah. <laughs> you're oppressed. <laughs> you're stricken with poverty. Uh, what are you guys talking about today? Um... Well, it was really uh, heartwarming to read that uh, 200 mental patients at uh, Colalinga had their own personal extensive child porn collections. Yeah,
3: and then they got so upset when they mm. took them away from them. Well, sure. I mean, how um, dare the, the hospital officials take away their child porn? They have rights. <laughs>
0: they have nothing else to live for. That was their day.
3: Good Lord.
0: Now so, uh, the world's going to hell. Uh,
3: You're depressing. Thank all, you. We're all wearing day. pink hats I on have, our
0: way to hell, though. <laughs> Nope. No. No, we can't. Don't no. be discriminatory. Uh, be inclusive. All right. Uh, well, then you can't wear any hat. I didn't know there was an array of colors myself. I wasn't aware of that. You, gotta
4: the, you got to get out Yeah,
3: exactly. I, Thank you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> all right. John up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody.
1: Be sure to be with us next time for further adventures of Gary and Shannon.